of an atomic device might never stop. Are we saying there's a chance that when we push that button, we destroy the world? Chances are near zero. Near zero. What do you want from theory alone? Zero would be nice. Welcome to The Rank with John and Zach. I'm John. I'm Zach. We've been friends since Cub Scouts, and now 30 years later, we decided to start a podcast where we'll be ranking anything and everything. You know, the natural progression of events for millennials. You're probably wondering what credentials we have to rank anything. Well, we don't have any. And if you disagree, join the discussion at The Rank Podcast on Twitter or X, threads, Instagram, and TikTok on our website at therankwithjohnandzach.com or at our email address, uh, therankwithjohnandzach at protonmail.com. You can also support us on Patreon at The Rank Podcast. That's patreon.com slash The Rank Podcast. And you can check out clips or full episodes on our YouTube channel, The Rank with John and Zach. And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe so we can keep this thing going. You know, nothing can move faster than the speed of light. I don't know if you know that. It's the speed of causality. That's true. But with enough gravity, you can warp space-time. Do you Which is what um, a black hole is? Yeah. Uh, do you remember just when the comment that we got about the guy wanted me to play Mass Effect Legendary Edition? Uh huh. And I was like, I'm gonna go and reinstall Mass Effect and play through the trilogy again. I'm uh, yeah. near. I'm near the end of the second game now. Really? So I did. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, that's how traveling faster than the speed of light works there, because Element Zero enables you to create Mass Effect fields that lower your mass and uh, thus make it possible to go faster than the speed of light. Let's see, I need to adjust this again. I've always found that interesting, because it's like, you know, just just uh, uh, balance the equation by lowering the other side. I like it. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, it's a, it's really a fascinating concept, because the Alcubierre drive is where it started, right? Oh, I and know. I, I, was, I, I read about that, got so excited, and then I read more and was like, oh, I guess not. Well, because he said, oh, you need negative energy, yeah. right? Which, like, well, that's not a thing. Yeah. At least not in our lifetime. Yeah. Um, but during the pandemic, this other guy, oh, I can't remember his name, Eric something or other, he was in Germany. He's an American who was in Germany, and mm. he figured out a way to do warp drive using positive energy. Mm-hmm. Did you hear about that? I did not. Um, they, I mean, that that warp drive wouldn't work for me. I, I have no positive energy. Nothing but negative. <laughs> well, Akubier is the one for you then. Yeah, it's just you know, uh, who can be bothered? Well, it's sort of fascinating to me. Um, I, I mean, it's still it it requires like energy at the scale of like two or three jupiters or something like that to a lot of jupiters yeah so it's like I, I can't remember the exact you know amount of energy that was needed to to create it but the fact that we could create it with positive energy as opposed to negative energy which doesn't exist means that it's something that we could in his whole point was like so now you know the theory is sound right so now just it's it's an engineering feat to scale it down. I'll get to work immediately. Well, I know who we need to get to work on it. <laughs> no, I'm going to anyway. Um, I want to. 
do uh, I'll do this for humanity. But you know who I think we need to get to work on it, right? Who's that? Tom Cruise. Oh yeah. Um, just too bad he wasn't in Interstellar. I know we'd already have it. And Christopher Nolan loves the practical, okay, practical effects. Practical effects. Um, So speaking of Christopher Nolan, I know. Great segue. Although I had two more things to say, or three more things to. All right. Well, let's let's go list them in order. Ready? One. Um. No, I've forgotten. Oh, I like it because all you need is this negative energy. So if you want to write a sci-fi story where you have it, just be like, oh, negative energy exists now. You can, you can explain that with one line of dialogue. Thank God we have the negative energy. Um, and, very true. Uh, Two. The, second, the second one, we can just create an array of solar panels around the sun, um, and we would basically have, I don't want to say infinite energy, but we're pretty close to infinite energy, and we can just transmit that all over the uh all over the uh solar system whatever we need um how would we transmit it though uh yeah nikola tesla Just really long up. wires no, he was he was working on wireless energy when he went crazy so maybe wireless energy will work maybe i don't know well actually it might work in outer space you could direct wireless energy to like specific locations in space mm-hmm. it doesn't work on earth because you know you can't it's just energy like imagine standing in elect in an electrical field right like it's just not, cool. not good for you it's not good for you it's, yeah. um and then the third thing is that i'm going to do it for humanity so uh, Chris, segue into christopher nolan christopher nolan whoever that is yep well i guess we should say um this is sort of kind of a special episode in a way i mean it's the best picture rankings but um we are going under the assumption here that Oppenheimer is going to be nominated. So we're, tr- we're trying to get ahead of the, uh, the nominations. So it's fun because if it doesn't get nominated, nobody may ever hear this. <laughs> or won't they be lucky? <laughs> well, um, I guess we should tell people what we do in case they're new to, uh, to our show. Uh, Every episode, we start off with a little bit of banter. You just heard. Check. Um, Then we go into a a little summary of the movie and a breakdown of kind of where we are in the series. That's coming next. Then Potent Notables, where we talk about uh, notable things that happened during the production of the movie. And then we dive into the movie overview, which, spoiler alert, we are going to talk about the movie from beginning to end and every single plot point in it. So if you haven't seen it, probably not something you want to listen to unless you like spoilers and then we go to the rank which is where we rank the movie based on 10 categories on a scale of one to ten one being the worst ten being the best uh we combine our scores and that gives us gives us the cumulative rank score and we see how it ranks with all other best picture nominees and also against the uh, best picture nominees of its year and in this case we're going to find out what the best picture should be before the telecast happens. And so you'll know that if when you're watching it and something else is best picture other than what we said, you know it's rigged and bullshit. Yeah, Procter and Gamble or who, whoever those guys are. Yeah, exactly. Who, Paid off. Is that them or did I make that up? The, the that sounds right. Sterling and Sharp? I don't know. Well, today we're ranking Oppenheimer, the 2023 film starring Killian Murphy and written and directed by Christopher Nolan. And Christopher Nolan based his screenplay on the book American Prometheus by uh, 
on the book American Prometheus by Kai Bird and Martin Sherwin. So we're ranking this, as I mentioned before, before the announcement of the announcements of the uh, Best Picture nominees, under the assumption that this will be nominated for Best Picture. So normally I'd say here what categories it was nominated in uh, and what it won, but that won't be the case for this one. Um, although I have some guesses on what it'll be nominated for. Sound editing. I think sound editing, uh, score, uh, picture, actor, supporting actors, maybe supporting actress. I don't know if they'll cons you know if they'll have a lead actress category for this one. Um, but if if they do, then probably best actress and best supporting actress, uh, best director, best cinematography. These are the things I'm guessing they're going to get nominated. And what do you, what I mean? Do you think I'm off here? No, I think it'll probably get nominated for rather a number. Um, yeah. Do you think that both um, Emily Blunt and Florence Pugh are going to be nominated? That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Best actress, mm. best supporting actress. Seems like. But it. if they don't have a lead actress category, I don't know if they'll both get nominated. Mm -hmm. um, I could see Florence Pugh getting it over Emily Blunt, not because I thought that Florence Pugh is better, but she seems to be kind of a darling of the Academy. Mm -hmm. um, well, we'll get into it. So Oppenheimer follows the life of J. Robert Oppenheimer as he ascends to prominence in the world of theoretical physics, specifically in quantum physics. The movie specifically focuses on three areas of history, the Manhattan Project, the court proceeding to renew Oppenheimer's security clearance, and the confirmation hearing of Louis Strauss for Secretary of Commerce. While grappling with the ethical and moral quandaries of inventing the atomic bomb and starting a nuclear age. Well, as you all know, and as we promised, we're ranking all the nominees for this year and getting them done before the telecast on March 10th. I'm excited to find out what the true best picture of, 20, of the 2023 releases was. What do you think, Zach? Um, what do I think is going to be the best picture? I don't know. Are you just excited to find out? I, I guess I don't really know what the question was looking <laughs> at. I just was sort of hoping you'd take it and run. Um, yes. Okay. No, uh, no, I, 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 uh, I think that this has a, had an excellent chance to be best to win best picture. Uh, I don't know. It seems like some. It seems like Hollywood wants to like Christopher Nolan, but makes movies that they're not like willing to give awards to. All right. Well, let's. Uh, I, I think we can dive into the potent notables now, right? Yeah. Potent notables. Typically, we start the potent notables with the uh, box office results, right? Mm. But as of right now, the box office re results are not complete. But I'm going to give you where they stand as of right now of this recording, which is October 11th, 2023. Mm. So it has made $323.3 million domestically and $616 million internationally for a worldwide total of $939.3 million and counting. All, really? yeah. Isn't that crazy? It's, it's almost a billion dollars. Yeah, I say it for a lot of these really big box office hits we've been doing, but good God, I remember when Titanic crossed a billion and it was like the most insane thing ever. And, well, Titanic crossed two billion, well, yeah. which is even crazier. But, but this one had a budget of $100 million, which is... Mm. You know, a huge budget, obviously, yeah. but it's relatively 
low when you mm -hmm. think of the scale of a Christopher Nolan type of movie. It, how much of that budget was spent just on 70 millimeter film? Or actually, Quite a was, bit. This, was this actually how was this filmed? I don't really know. 70 how it millimeter. You're right. Oh, it was okay. Good. Yep. An IMAX. Yeah. Yep. Which is fascinating. And well, you know what? Um, I'll, I'll actually skip right to it. So, it, Kodak. So this was this was not my first Pope Notable. It was my second. Mm -hmm. But since we're talking about it, Kodak produced a limited supply of their double X black and white film stock in 70 millimeter mm. specifically for this film so that Christopher Nolan could shoot the black and white sections at the same quality as the rest of the film. Not bad. Because, of course, Christopher Nolan got Kodak to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Kodak's like, I don't even know if we have a factory anymore. I think all <laughs> we make uh, I, Actually, they got a lot of money during the pandemic because they made chemicals that were necessary for the vaccines. And I was like, oh, Kodak still exists. That's nice. Go Kodak! Yeah, because they're, they're a New York company, or at least they were. For all I know, they're in who knows where now. <laughs> well, so just to go back to the, to the box office grosses, I, I thought you might find this interesting. So it is the highest grossing film to never reach number one of the domestic box, box office. <laughs> that is fun. Isn't it? Yeah. As a Barbie. <laughs> because of damn Barbie. <laughs> uh, imagine if I had gone back in time and told you that this movie would be big, but it wouldn't be number one because of Barbie. You'd be like, what? Barbie? Yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> Barbie who? Barbie Ferreira? What'd she do? Like Barbie and Ken? Yeah. <laughs> and and then I'd have to explain all of that, and they'd be like, okay, so already? Why is this? Sorry. Well, funny. no. It's it's funny. So here, guess the movie that it surpassed to get this record. I can't even. I can't even hazard a guess. Sing. <laughs> Easy. I never would have guessed that. So it's probably a good thing I didn't say. <laughs> really. What was that while Sing was out that made that such an impossibility? I'm going to go check now just for you. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, Rogue One. <laughs> oh, okay. So I feel like that makes sense. Mm. So yeah, Rogue One stopped Sing. Thank um, God somebody stopped it because that movie. <laughs> well, it's crazy to think of. I mean, so here's the crazy part, okay? Because Sing... So I was telling you that um, it was the the highest grossing movie to never reach number one, and it beat Sing. But Sing mm -hmm. had a worldwide cumulative total of $634.3 million. Mm -hmm. So not only did it beat it, but it beat it by $300 million. Well it done. It beat it by like a whole other blockbuster. So do you think that there are headline writers who are um, disappointed because they were looking forward to this movie doing badly so that they could have a headline that said Floppenheimer, and now they're like, this kind of ruined their day, that the movie did well? Yeah, probably. I mean... I feel like headline writers live just for... For a good the, pun. For the puns and the other <laughs> stupid shit. Like, there's someone at the Daily News, like, or the Post, like, oh, I can't believe it. Not that they would necessarily comment on Oppenheimer on the front page or anything, but... Um, all right, so let's go on to some more potent notables here. So, oh, actually, there's one other box office one. It's the second highest grossing R-rated movie of all time. And I don't yeah. think it's going to end up passing it. But do you know which, what the highest is? You know, I think feel like I used to know at some point, but I'm not going to act like I know more than I do. Joker. Oh, you know, I, I do remember that happening because that was fairly recently. Yeah, exactly. 
So yeah, and Joker's over a billion um, far enough that I don't think that Oppenheimer's going to catch it. But it would be kind of cool if it did. That is a... Uh... I don't know. It's kind of funny because Nolan directed the three Batman movies and Killing Murphy right, within the right. wins. Then Joker, which neither of them have anything to do with. And um, and then also, uh, you know, uh, Barbie was uh, big this year and uh, What's-Her-Face is Harley Quinn. So That's, that's cool. right. I also saw a little meme that was like, you know, these two movies out right now being led by actors who played therapists in the Batman universe. Wait, say that again? Uh, Barbie and Oppenheimer, both you know the lead actors, play also played therapists in the Batman. Oh universe. right, that's fascinating. because yeah, I, I just think of them as villains, but you're right; they both played therapists. Yeah. What was going on with uh, the writers of DC Comics at the time, huh? You know, I don't know. They were going through some things. It's yeah, like clearly. it's like ludicrous the year he came out with Move Bitch and uh, um, Throw Them Bows. And... Yeah, it's like, are you okay, man? <laughs> Sucking traffic a lot or what? <laughs> I, I actually sing "Move, Bitch, Get Out the Way" a lot to myself while I'm in traffic. <laughs> I, I just drive by and you know pass them in traffic, and I'm just sitting. Get out the way! Like, <laughs> oh, behind Ludacris. I know he's fast and furious, so I hate being stuck. You know him being stuck behind me in traffic. He gets angry. Maybe that was the thing. Yeah. He wanted to be fast and furious, and instead he got stuck. Well, you know. Lucky for Ludacris, uh, Ja Rule never panned out in the Fast and Furious universe. Oh, was um, he? He was in the first one, yeah. Oh. I still have not seen any of those, and um, probably not going to. So, uh, oh, you're definitely going to, because oh. we're going to end up ranking them. So. Damn it. No, I've seen them already. We can't rank them. What do you never mean? Been... We've seen most of the ones we've ranked. Yeah, it's never been, it's never been a problem before. Damn it. I, I'm, I've died. I'm, I'm no longer with us. Well, that's sad. I'm going to keep going anyway, though. No, so, <laughs> my ghost will attend. Well, Matt Damon was on a break from acting as a promise to his wife mm -hmm. with one condition. The The break would go on hold if Christopher Nolan called. <laughs> and his wife's like, oh, sure. What are the chances? Wonder. Damn it. Yeah, exactly. And of course, as luck would have it, Nolan offered Damon the role of Leslie Groves and the break. I like to imagine home. that it was like the next day. <laughs> She's like, ah, oh, it's good having you home, Matt. Hold on, let me get the phone. Matt, it's Christopher. He's like, oh, I'll take this in my office. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Nolan. Chris Mr. Christopher. Mr. Mr. I don't know. Well, what I think is funny is that you're typically not one to fill blank space. Yeah. But my mom was texting me because she she's with Parker right now. Um. So she was just like, "Hey, we're gonna go to Walmart," and she was gonna buy me something. Um. I don't know why I'm being coy. She was gonna get me notebooks and pencils because I asked her for to get them for me. Sounded like it was something illicit, but nope. I know. <laughs> And 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 I'm like responding, and I'm like, oh, Zach's Zach's still going. All right, go Zach. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> All right, so the Trinity detonation scene. All right, practical effects. We got to talk about mm. this, right? Because it's incredible. It uses a combination of practical effects and digital compositing. 
Multiple explosions were performed practically with a hybrid of gasoline, propane, aluminum, and magnesium substances involving mm -hmm. big miniatures. Okay. These, these were filmed at high speeds from multiple angles and then layered using digital effects to create the, the iconic mushroom cloud. Mm -hmm. That's pretty impressive, actually. It's pretty amazing that he was like, we got to figure out a way to do this so that it's real. Do you think Christopher Nolan became uh, attached to this story when he read that Oppenheimer built a whole town just for for doing the Manhattan Project. He's like, damn, I admire the, uh, the dedication <laughs> to building a fake town. Not even fake town, but building a town from scratch just to set up a lab. It's like, I wish I could build a town. In fact, I will. I could not help but see the resemblance. Mm -hmm. <laughs> While I was watching the movie, I'm like, so he 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 treats things the way, he treats science the way Christopher Nolan treats movies. Yeah, a little worrying. <laughs> Of, of course, which movie was it Christopher Nolan crashed a plane for real in because it was cheaper? Oh, Tenet. That's yeah. Right. That's right. <laughs> so, okay, just let's actually just crash it. Like, who who flew that? I was like, all right, I'll crash it. No, <laughs> no. it wasn't being flown. <laughs> okay. I was I was think I was imagining the pilots just jumping out with like oh you know, <laughs> you're right this was cheaper <laughs> um, <laughs> on the way down yeah exactly and I oh I hope sure hope that lands where we wanted it to oh it did not it was it was being taxied it was taxiing on a runway all right so some history notables here on December sixteenth twenty twenty two so just last year. J. Robert Oppenheimer's security clearance was posthumously reinstated by the U.S. Department of Energy almost 70 years after it was first revoked by its predecessor, the Atomic Energy Commission. Just in time. Yeah, just in time. So got a little uh, quote here from, <clears throat> from Kai Bird, who, you know, uh, co-wrote the book American Prometheus. Quote, I'm overwhelmed with emotion. History matters. And what was done to Oppenheimer in 1954 was a travesty, a black mark on the honor of the nation. Students of American history will now be able to read the last chapter and see that what was done to Oppenheimer in that kangaroo court proceeding was not the last word. End mm -hmm. Which is neat. But at the same time, it's like kind of pathetic that it took us 70 years. Yeah. Yeah, just a little. I'm not sure why we care so much who are communists. Yeah, well, that was then, you know, that was then for you. And still still the case. It's still the, yeah, I mean, like, still, like, I mean, it's better. It's definitely mm -hmm. better. Like, somebody come out, could be like, I'm a communist, and they'd be like, well, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's weird. Um, I just recently rewatched uh, Clue, the movie, and, um, you know, they're revealing, well, Wadsworth is revealing everybody's secrets they're being blackmailed for, and, you know, they sold, you know, whatever, or well, they all did horrible things, basically, but then they find out that um, Wadsworth's wife has friends who are communists, and everyone's like, oh, like, it's amazing. <laughs> because she had friends who were communists, and he's crying, and he says, well, nobody's perfect. Yeah, mm. I mean, that's, it's really pathetic. The score for the film doesn't feature any drums, huh. which, going into the movie, knowing that was really fascinating. It's actually really cool, because it made me focus on the score. Yeah, because I was like, really, there's no drums. Um, so Chris, Chris Nolan and the composer Ludwig Göransson uh, felt using a sound typically associated with the military would be inauthentic to to musically capture the character of J. Robert yeah. Oppenheimer. Yeah, it's fascinating. Like, what a cool that take. That is that is really cool. 
Um, so in an important meeting to decide what cities should be on the atomic bombs target list, do you remember this scene? Yeah, I do. So in the initial script, um, U.S. Secretary of War Henry Stimson crosses Kyoto off from the target list, mm -hmm. saying that Kyoto's cultural and historical, it was because of the cultural and historical significance, right? James Remar, who played Henry Stimson, he said that there was another reason Stimson <clears throat> gave for excluding Kyoto, and that was that Stimson and his wife had honeymooned in Kyoto before the war. Mm-hmm. And Nolan liked this anecdote so much that he told Remar to add this horrifying line to the script. Mm -hmm. However, since the film has come out, no historian has been able to find any evidence that Stimson, that Stimson and his wife ever visited Kyoto, let alone went on a honeymoon there. Oh. Stimson only ever visited for cultural or political purposes during his time as a governor in the Philippines. All documentation indicates Stimson really did spare the city for its cultural importance to Japan. But I cut you off a little bit. What were you going to say? Oh, no. Uh, I was going to joke that maybe he thought it was the honeymoon, but it was actually he was there with some other hoe. <laughs> <laughs> like cheating on his wife. And he's like, oh, I remember I got the best. I mean, my honeymoon was in. Yeah. <laughs> so... So we should spare it because I want to yep. go back and see her again. I mean, I go, go back. back again with my wife. With my wife. <laughs> exactly. Well, I have another potential reason that James Remar did this. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I don't know if you remember this, but I'm going to hearken back to our first ever episode. Oh, my God. The pilot episode of The Rank with John and Zach yeah. in which we ranked Aliens. Do you, you have any idea where I'm going with this? I don't. I'm like, well, James Remar had a potent notable in that. Did he? He did. I barely know who James Remar is. Yeah, me too. Um, but he had, when I was doing the potent notables for this, I was like, Remar, that sounds really familiar. And so I checked and I'm like, yeah, that was the guy who was supposed to play Hicks. Oh, okay. But got fired because he was doing coke on set. Oh, James Remar. So, this might have been a coke-addled fever dream, right? Gotta be what it is. <laughs> anyway, I just thought it was kind of fun to, to bring us back to the first episode ever. Who knew? Well, not me. I mean, you. I would I would never recognize the name James Remar if, you know, you told me. Actually, you did tell me specifically. It has something to do with the first episode, <laughs> and I didn't. Proof positive. The proof is in the pudding. You've just proven yourself correct. Exactly. So, did you catch the name of the cinematographer, the director of photography? You know, I looked it up after I saw it, and now I don't know. Well, he's got quite the name. Hoyt mm. Van Hoytema. Hoyt Van Hoytema? Maybe yeah. I didn't look it up, because that's not ringing a damn bell. Well, he was interviewed on the Dutch talk show Zoomergasten. Um, Zoomergasten. I swear, <laughs> the Dutch language is just similar enough to English that some of their words are like, that can't be a real... No, I guess it is a real word. It's really what they say for that. <laughs> Like, um, like you know, they it's the sort of thing they, they would call a bomb, like, boom and happen. And it's like, really? You call it a boom and happen? And yet they do. Well, I'm not, not, that's not what they call it, necessarily. But it seems like every other word I hear in Dutch, it's like they're making fun of English. Oh, boom and happen. I'm yep. Dutch. Isn't that weird? Mm -hmm. um, Even more so than German, which also does that. <laughs> well, he said that not a single frame in the movie was storyboarded. Really? Isn't that fascinating? So he goes on to, so to him, it was one of the freest productions Christopher Nolan and he have, have made so far. Mm -hmm. They also preferred, as a matter of principle, shooting as few takes of a scene as possible. 
because of the shallow focus of the wide angle IMAX lenses, sometimes mm -hmm. an actor is a little out of focus, but if the energy of the take felt right, they left it that way. Hmm. I, I specifically looked for this in the movie and I never noticed it. So clearly somebody's done a good job. Yeah. And also, you know, I think that the, uh, out of anything being slightly out of focus, especially if it's just for a minute, like not a minute, but you know, a short amount of time. Right. Um, might actually sort of fit the, the sort of the, some of the themes of the movie with like, you know, kept coming back to like matter being in, you know, excited states. And yeah. Things like that. So that's like, a good you know, point. Slight chaos, this chaos of the cell, for instance, of the, of the, not the cell, but the uh, atom. Right. No, because that's, a, that's the electrons are always bouncing. Yeah, the uh, atoms are so weird. Do you understand science? Because I don't. Atom, you know, the, the electrons, they don't really move or they're, they're just constantly going to the next most probabilistic state or something like that. It's so weird. Well, I enjoy science. I'm not going to be, um, you know, I'm going to show some humility and say that I don't understand it. <laughs> but I enjoy it. I enjoy when people who understand it mm -hmm. explain it to me in a way that I can understand. Yeah, that's uh, that's important. I think Neil deGrasse Tyson was good at that, or is good at that. Carl Sagan was good at that. Um, there's a Brian Cox. Have mm -hmm. you seen him? I think he's really good. At, I think his name is Brian Cox. Is Brian Cox the actor? Yeah, that's why I second guess myself. You don't mean uh, Brian Green, maybe? No, Brian Cox. I was right. I don't know oh. if you've seen. He's a British guy, but he's. He, he is very good at it. I, I love when anybody who is really intelligent has a way of explaining things that people who are not as intelligent as them can understand. I actually feel like J. Robert Oppenheimer had that skill too. Yeah, um, seemed like possibly. If if you like when intelligent people explain things so that everybody else can understand, I, I don't know what you, why you're interested in this podcast. Maybe it's because you don't have to listen to it. But <laughs> Well... <laughs> well. Well, for, for the record, really Brian, got me. yeah, Brian Cox is also the actor from Succession right. and, and all and, and X Men and stuff. yeah, yeah X Men, yeah. Um, I don't know, Succession is most recent, but uh, yeah, um, but I guess I guess they allow two people to have the same name. That's weird, but whatever. Oh, I don't allow it. One I don't will die. Though. If you ever ever find somebody with the exact same name as you by accident, you're like, what the fuck? Give me back my name. Um, yeah. It happens to me kind of often, actually. Uh, so it's annoying. But they always pronounce it wrong, so yeah, I'm fine with bastards. it. Bastards. I, uh, well, you know, um, there was someone with the same last name as me when I went to Schenectady County Community College, and um, his name was Zebulon. Was his first name, though? And people <laughs> kept seeing, like, things would be written Z, my last name, and they'd be like, oh, are you Zebulon? And I'm like, no, I'm not Zebulon. First of all, who's Zebulon? Second of all, no, I'm not Zebulon. Third of all, my name comes first alphabetically. So why did you go immediately to Zebulon? I got another Kai Bird uh, notable here. Go for it. So he visited the set in Los Alamos. And upon arrival, he was like shocked at mm -hmm. Killian Murphy's resemblance to J. Robert Oppenheimer. Mm -hmm. And, and the, this was their exchange from Kai Bird, quote, Dr. Oppenheimer, I've been waiting decades to meet you. Murphy just laughed and said, we've all been reading your book. It's mandatory mm -hmm. reading around here. Which, you know, I enjoyed the potent notable because of what Kai Bird said. But mm -hmm. Killian's response is very like, uh-huh, cool. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, um, interviews and everything I've seen with him, he se he seems like he's got some social anxiety, actually. So yes, he does not like it. It's funny when these people become actors, but I guess I can't. I'm not gonna act like you can't go to into the field you like just because you don't like talking to people. Well, you know, and the thing is too, I, I think actors and you know acting in general, there probably is some catharsis and like you know putting your energy into a character mm -hmm. and like maybe you're getting rid of some of your own emotions through the character. It's, it's probably cathartic and therapeutic. Yeah. It's also different when you're pretending to not be yourself, you know? Right. Exactly. My so you're able to release that energy without having to like, yeah. Expel Actually. your own thoughts. Yeah. Um, yeah. Might be, might be, might be, if only, you know, I was good at acting, that might be, that might be a way to go about it. Well, we could try it. So I'll take an acting class and then want to die. <laughs> no big deal. Well, Richard Feynman, um, the physicist, mm -hmm. he's shown playing bongos multiple times during the film. <laughs> so in addition to his skills in physics, Feynman was actually known as a prolific bongo player. A prolific bongo player. I'll, I'll I say, loved that it said prolific. I would not have included it if it didn't have that word. I I will say two things. One, it does not seem that difficult to be a bongo player. I'm sure no. it's harder than it is seems, but I'm just not getting that feeling. And two, anybody I've ever heard about playing bongos tends to be a prolific bongo player. So it's not right, the sort of thing you just do. Because all it means is you just hit drums a lot. Yep, you just like having drums between your legs and hitting them. So yep. Well, Christopher Nolan has said that his first encounter with the name Oppenheimer came about via the lyrics of Sting's song, Russians, from his mm. 1985 album, The Dream of the Blue Turtles. Mm. Do you know Sting very well? No. Just well, a wrestler, not... singer. Right. <laughs> well, it's funny because he actually came down from the rafters to sing this song. Oh, um, that's quite the, quite the feat. Well, the lyric is, how can I save my little boy from Oppenheimer's deadly toy? Mm. Which actually, I thought was a pretty good line. Big Sting fan, are you? I don't know him, other than that he's kind of creepy and he watches people. Um, <laughs> so early in the film, when J. Robert Oppenheimer is introduced, someone asks what the J stands for. Mm -hmm. And before he can respond, James Darcy's character, Patrick Blackett, snaps nothing in reply, and the question is never answered in the film. Mm -hmm. So the J stands for Julius. Okay, so it does stand for something. It does. According to American Prometheus, um, Oppenheimer was named after his father, Julius, but always insisted that the J stood for nothing. <laughs> so I thought that was kind of funny. Um, coincidentally, Harry S. Truman, who yeah. also is uh, a character in this movie, his middle name, S, actually does stand for nothing. It's just an S. But nothing begins with an N. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I thought of that joke right as i was saying that and i thought no i don't, I don't know how i can make it work and then you made it work <laughs> that's so what, I, what i do around here i make it work <laughs> i also make it rain so going back to matt damon when he read the script when it was like first given to him by christopher nolan mm -hmm. he was shocked because it was written on red paper but the most interesting thing was that it was written in the first person mm -hmm which he had never seen before, like, you know, on a screenplay. Yeah. I've never seen that. I've never heard of that before. 
I'm trying to like even envision exactly how, how you do say. that. Yeah, it's kind of fun. Yeah, I I think it's fascinating. I, I'd heard that before, uh, before even doing the Pot Notables research, and I was like, really, he wrote mm -hmm. it in first person. Well, so now to go back to Kodak here. Well, I mean not Kodak, but the uh, the filming, the the technical aspects here. Mm -hmm. So during an interview, Christopher Nolan said that the entire reel of IMAX film stock used for the production is 11 miles long. Wow. And it weighs 600 pounds. You know, you know the weight, even more than the length, the weight was, because, you know, I'm just imagining carrying like that to the theater or whatever the fuck. It's like a small whale. Yeah. Well, shut up. <laughs> Ass monkey. Well, small whales don't bother you, right? Um... <laughs> I also don't think that's anywhere near heavy enough for even a small whale. Oh, that's yeah. what I was thinking too. It's also way too long. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Can you imagine a whale is eight, 11 miles long? It's very thin. <laughs> it's it's, very it's thin. actually just a noodle. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very dense noodle, though. Well, so <laughs> that's, that's a very what I say dense about me, noodle. a very dense noodle. <laughs> I've been well, that's that what they say about a part no. of you, right? Anyway, let's, let's move on here. So the the cast of uh, the casting of Josh Hartnett is a, like a, a cool little full circle full circle moment because mm -hmm. Hartnett was one of the three finalists to play Batman. Oh, and uh, he turned it down. We could have had we could have had him as Batman, but he didn't want it. Yeah, he's like, a but signature. he he actually he said that he regretted he regrets the decision because mm -hmm. you know he likes. Christopher Nolan now, just like everybody, right? And well, and uh, and it would have been acting jobs, which is he hasn't well, had quite so many of. Well, do you know, I mean, so the story of Josh Hartnett is like they kept wanting to cast him in like romantic comedies and mm -hmm. things like that. And he was like, I want to do like real serious work. And he kept doing indie films instead. Mm -hmm. And then they were like, okay, well, we just won't hire you anymore. <laughs> so... Meanwhile, that's actually worked out for like Robert Pattinson, who is you know doing all these indie films, but still gets, still yeah. decides to be Batman. So. Well, right, but see, he does like bigger films in between, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Hartnett was like, no, you, you won't get me to do that. Films. Um, so anyway. I do, I do even smaller films between my small films. Right, exactly. I only do home movies between small films. But the film actually was released, you know, July twenty first of this year. Uh, well, I guess it'll be last year when people listen to this. Um, but uh, Hartnett's birthday. Oh, really? Yeah. Isn't that nice for him? Yep. What a birthday present. <laughs> so, a movie that you play a part in. <laughs> yay. Not that small a part, but not, not the biggest actually, part either. No, but it was, you know, there's a lot of people in the movie. Pretty decently sized part. I, uh, I was watching this movie and there were several people who I was like, I know this person. But yeah, they're like made up to be old timey and everything, and he was one of them. I got it fairly quickly, but I was like, "What do I know him from?" Oh, it's just an actor I haven't seen in you know fifteen years. I feel like a lot of times I was like, "Wait, is that?" Oh, that's you know Casey Affleck. Okay, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Why did Casey Affleck show up in this movie? I don't know where. <laughs> Matt Damon was like, "You got to get in here." Yeah. <laughs> um, not you, Ben. Not you. <laughs> I want to be. Oh man. Well, Christopher Nolan uh, said that the similarity of the scene where J. Robert Oppenheimer first wears his trademark hat and pipe 
mm-hmm. and the scenes in his Batman trilogy where Bruce Wayne puts on his bat suit were intentional. Oh, cool! I never noticed he, that, but I like it. Yeah, I was I looked for it because of the potent notables. That's why it's kind of fun to do the potent notables before you watch the movie because then you see this stuff. You're like, ah, you see it. Uh, he's got a hat on. Yeah, here's the hat. <laughs> but, but I wouldn't have noticed it otherwise. But he wanted to show that Oppenheimer is a real life superhero of sorts with his magic power being the harnessing of atomic energy. Ooh, cool! Atomic man. <laughs> bomb man well so christopher nolan severed his relationship with warner brothers because he hated their release pattern for tenet yeah i remember him actually being really mad about, about it yeah, yeah. And i like christopher nolan a lot but i was like there are other things going on than your stupid movie coming out on hbo max in the world right now christopher so maybe just i think his movie. point was like just wait i get it but you know at, at warner brothers has been you know i don't you know what recently so yeah yeah um well anyway so you know they did a bare bones theatrical release and before and then it was basically simultaneously on hbo max um so anyway because of that he took it to universal instead who readily agreed to his push for a cinema release now warner brothers if just wait on releasing tenant they could have had a billion dollars worth of oppenheimer money they probably would have had a billion dollars worth of tenant money too yeah so well done warner brothers yeah. Well, now they've got David Zaslav in, and he's going to fix oh, everything. That's that's for sure. <laughs> he's done well so far. He's great. All right, so I got a nice one here for you. Production designer Ruth DeJong said Christopher Nolan cut 30 days of filming to reallocate funds to the production design. Oh, I guess that's nice. So quote, this is a quote from Ruth here. Quote, it felt like a $100 million indie. This is not Tenet. Chris wanted to shoot all over the United States. Just plane tickets alone and putting crew up all over the place is expensive. Not to mention I have to build Los Alamos. It doesn't exist. That's where I really felt like it was impossible. Chris said, forget the money. Let's just let's let's just design what we want. So that's what we did. And when we and when construction first budgeted my town, it was $20 million. Mm-hmm. Chris was like, yeah, no, stop. <laughs> We had this huge white model, and I started pulling buildings out of it. Not to mention we want to shoot New York and New Jersey and Berkeley and Los Angeles and New Mexico. The producers were asking what I could do on my end to shrink the budget. Mm. So one of the producers then comes into my office and says, Chris is going to shoot this in 55 days. Mm. That is a lot of money we get back. At that point, you feel like I have to deliver above and beyond because he just went and gave up his days. He more than anyone knows what he wants to get in every single get in every single day, and how he wants to get it. And he goes from eighty-five to fifty-five days. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. It's that he cuts thirty days off of filming. It also explains why he was like, "Nope, we got it. Let's move on." Yep. <laughs> that, that's that's uh, let's do the Clint Eastwood approach to directing. That one's good. Let's go. So the Oval Office scene uh, was originally going to be filmed at the Richard Nixon Presidential Library. Mm-hmm. Due to a booking error, the room was not available on the scheduled time, and so a set had to be constructed from scratch for the scene. These poor just people, to add like, to the production design yeah. issues. <laughs> build Los Alamos, build the Oval Office, build me a house just because I want a new house. <laughs> okay, Chris, here you go. I'll cut a so day it, of filming and build me a house. So I got... I have two more potent notables here, and I I'm, I know there's been a lot, so but there's a lot of fascinating information on this. This is a potent film. Yeah. Well, this is a Killian Murphy one. Mm-hmm. 
and this is where like i just don't get actors because mm -hmm. i couldn't do this but he restricted himself to one almond a day during parts of the filming in order to maintain oppenheimer's gaunt profile one almond a day yeah he's like oh, i'm so hungry <laughs> that was good you know my, my my problem there would be deciding when to have the almond because i would want it to be like the perfect time because i would really want to savor that one almond so i'd always be like no not now i was actually just wondering like do you think he took small bites of it throughout the day <laughs> that's what he did is no nibble he ate the little skin part like separately um i'm gonna go with the all with the killian murphy one almond a day diet see if it works i'll, I'll maintain well, robert oppenheimer's gaunt frame whatever you said well soon you'll be dead um, oh true true <laughs> All I had to do was call up uh, Christopher Nolan's buddy uh, Christian Bale and ask him how he lost all that weight for the Machinist. Oh no! I, don't even bring. I didn't want to. Now I'm picturing it. God damn it! Oh, I hate that so much. <laughs> it's almost as bad as holes, which now I'm picturing. So oh, well done. <laughs> well, you're right. brought up whales. I don't know where. <laughs> That's true. I guess I had it coming. Yeah, um, yeah bastard. So here's the final potent notable. And it's a Robert Downey Jr. one. Uh -huh. So when the film premiered in London at the Odeon Lux Leicester Square, yeah. Downey Jr. said, quote, just going to flat out say it. This is the best film I've ever been in. Hmm. So that's, I think, a good way to end the Potent Notables. It is. And move on to the movie overview. Movie overview. This is the first one I'm taking notes in the theater for. Oh, yeah. You're there with your little notepad, like you're reporting. Did you have a reporter hat? Well, I used my phone because I was worried I wouldn't be able to see if I yeah. brought like a notebook. And I was like, I was thinking, I went at like 2.30 in the afternoon on a weekday mm. thinking like nobody's going to be here. And yeah. I was forgetting that it was Indigenous Peoples Day. Oh. So there was more people than I was expecting. Um, and... Uh, I was, I sort of felt guilty, you know, I didn't want to like be distracting to people, but I was like, well, yeah. fuck it, you know? So we start right off here mm -hmm. and Killian looked really young for like a second there. Yeah. Well, um, this is, he's, he's playing college age. Right. Right. Um, he's, he's got like a, 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 I mean, I know he's old now, but he's got a, uh, the sort of face that can sort of, He's youthful looking. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, there's a lot of you know people his age who I would presume you couldn't put in this kind of role and really except without like serious Marvel de aging. You think you think Robert Downey Jr. has the Marvel de aging like guys on speed dial? Obviously. Um, just I don't like this picture of myself that someone took at like my house. <laughs> Can you de age me? No, Rob. Oh my God, J. Robert Downey Jr. Um, <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. That's what he calls himself now. Um, well, actually, you know, it's at the, the Reverend Doctor <laughs> J. Robert Downey Jr. He's just adding names and titles every time he opens his mouth. Um, <laughs> uh, well, you know, the very first is the very first scene. Like, you know, I can't remember. It's a uh, a voiceover of some kind, and it's over like that really intense. You know, as though we're inside of an atom and it's like exploding a little bit and moving around everywhere. I thought that that was like a really, I think that was the very first scene. I thought that was a really interesting way to open it because I was like already yeah. engaged in like 
you know, very intense, like, you know, kind of booming feelings in your chest and everything like that. And then I think we skip, we go from that right to Robert or Robert's face. Um, like, like that sort of, that's what's going on. Like he's thinking about that in his head. Right. And, exactly. Uh, and I liked it a lot. I thought that was I, already, I was like, Ooh, this is working for me. Let's see if it goes anywhere good, but. And then it didn't. <laughs> and then three hours later we're like jesus we're still here we really um, need to have him reading books the entire time <laughs> he's just like mm, i like this book I, I for those of you who haven't seen it spoiler he just reads war and peace that's, yep that's, that's all that's it is whole, for three hours the, and he doesn't good, finish <laughs> good news is is that the entire time he's reading it florence Pugh is holding it against her naked chest so that was it's, fortunate it's it. yeah yeah it, 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 it works out okay for that she reason. got bored but Nonetheless, I, you know, Emily Blunt came into the screen every once in a while, and I yeah. thought, you know, can you guys switch it up, switch up yeah. the roles? But no, <laughs> John no. Krasinski said no. Oh, John Krasinski cock blocking all of the world. <laughs> I was gonna say America, but you know, more than the world, more than just America sees movies, I guess. No, no um, just us. <laughs> well, I mean, this is clearly an American movie. I mean, true. So what other bombs on people? Could have, yeah, could have come up with the atom bomb, you know. Well, thankfully, not too many at that time because I think <laughs> a couple, a couple were trying at least the one, and I'm glad we beat them to it. Well, I was curious. Was you know, obviously didn't look it up, but do you think Oppenheimer was really bullied at Cambridge because it seemed like they weren't very nice to him? No, they weren't. Um, and I guess he really did try to poison his that guy the teacher was that guy. real i could not believe that like how yeah, apparently does apparently have a he, life he, after that he said it himself that oh yeah i did that you know and like wrote about it or something himself and it's like okay did the teacher ever find out is that person dead now does he forgive you is that a attempted murder i don't understand i mean that's crazy right i don't know how you just casually mention that and not yeah have anything happen um and i don't know if i don't know if he almost actually ended up murdering niels Bohr by accident <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that also would have been fun. It's like, okay, this movie is actually starting off a little funny. I really wasn't expecting that, and I Me thought, either. I just don't see Christopher Nolan putting that in the movie if it wasn't true, right? Mm -hmm. So I was like, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm, I'm watching it. Like, he's not going to go through with this, is he? He's going to like take the cyanide or whatever and just be like, I can't. But no, he, he really tries to. <laughs> it only apparently doesn't do, go through with it because he didn't want to murder Niels Bohr. So that's exciting. It was Kenneth Branagh showing up? For, yeah, I, I think his second uh, um, Christopher Nolan movie after Dunkirk. That's right. That's right. I'm like, what was the other one? Dunkirk. Yep. Um, but an accomplished director himself, as well as lesbian, as well as lesbian. Yep. As well as lesbian. Um, <laughs> he directed. He directed the uh, great film uh, Thor One. You know, you're always bagging on that one. We haven't even ranked it yet. I. Uh, Said that quite sarcastically, uh, Kenneth Kenneth Brenna. What? How could you do this to me? How could you do that to me? <laughs> and uh, here we have Oppenheimer wanting to do theoretical stuff and knocking over lab equipment, which would also be me, but not not because I'm a genius, but because I knock over things all the time because I'm an idiot. Yeah, I mean, I felt like this movie was already so abstract and fascinating. You know, mm -hmm. it was um, it was cool. I did think it was sort of fascinating because, you know, it was similar to Einstein in the sense that Einstein did thought experiments is what he called them. 
you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. So he didn't experiment with like material, but he would sort of figure things out in his head. Right. But mm -hmm. you, they show Robert Oppenheimer doing this right when he's like throwing his glass, his, uh, you know, wine glasses into the corner there. Oh yeah. Yeah. All these other things that he's doing. So he clearly, you know, understood experimentation he just didn't want to do it in a lab well you know those bunsen burners are a real pain in the butt it, it's it was sort of interesting that he they it almost like it seemed like he had like a small level of contempt for einstein in the beginning it did um i love the way that the i don't know i love the way that this scene plays out because it, come, we, it comes back later and like from a different perspective and everything seems completely different it's just it's almost like in uh, the way things are different when the movie, when you already know what happened. Like it, during uh, Memento, when it goes back and revisits things that you already saw, but now you're seeing it correctly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's sort of fascinating because what I figured out what they were doing, and I'm, you know, I'm not like, I'm sure a lot of people figured this out, but the black and white was all from strauss's perspective mm -hmm. and color was all from oppenheimer's perspective yeah it, it took a minute but um i kind of because like the movie's moving around and everything and moves around a lot moves around a lot and like I, I feel like it was actually a good idea to do the the color in black and white so you know roughly in time where you are if nothing else yeah i mean i you know i guess i don't really it's interesting because it's not a time thing right because that mm -hmm. conversation is while he still has his security clearance yeah um so it's that it, it could be very confusing but at least the the more you step away from it like you give time time for it to settle in and everything you understand it more but at, at when you're first watching it you're like wait so where are we now what okay yeah. so this is then and okay um not that it was poor it, like it was excellently done i just it was definitely like wait what it was it was confusing and it's a lot like i was saying before i feel like it was purposefully so because it's sort right. of the, or, the ordered disorder of atomic energy you know yeah well i think he yeah I, I think he had a reason for doing it that way um i would think because he was so knowing that he wrote the script in first person i think he's showing how f sort of frenetic oppenheimer's thoughts and energy is yeah so um and yet he's a very calm person who doesn't move around a lot it's just i guess it's all, all frenetic in his head right frenetic neurons <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh yeah he says that einstein never embraced the quantum world um mm -hmm. i also you know and i don't know maybe you knew this but i just i never knew that oppenheimer was jewish um i may have known i'm not positive and not that it matters i just was like oh he's okay i didn't know he was jewish <laughs> unlike a lot unlike a lot of those jew the, the you know jewish uh scientists from exactly that time he was born in america so he didn't have to flee nazi germany <laughs> right exactly um but it's funny because in germany he meets heisenberg mm -hmm. and not until this very moment did i realize why i knew the name heisenberg i was like throughout some of them i'm like heisenberg what do i know that from how, like why do i know like why can't i think of this guy's first name why don't i know how like why do i know the name but i, don't, I can't mm -hmm. place it and you know what i realized it's from what 
Breaking Bad. That's what I assumed that <laughs> that most people... I'm, like, really upset with myself for that. I believe. I actually... It turns out I know a tiny, tiny, tiny bit more about this than I thought, because I believe that he is responsible for the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, and I can't remember exactly what that states. Well, I would say you're uncertain about what it states, but, you know, whatever you want. <laughs> Werner Heisenberg. Um, so I guess he was of, of German extraction. We cannot We cannot know both the position and speed of a particle with perfect accuracy. Because the more you know about its position, the less you know about its speed and vice versa. I don't know why that's the case. <laughs> but then again, the quantum world is very fucking crazy and confusing. Well, there's like, you know, in the quantum world where uh, things don't... So, like, there are actions that, that happen that only happen when they're not being observed. Yeah, and as soon as you observe them, then they're they're different actions or something mm. like that. I, I mean, what the fuck? Um, yeah, because you can't you can't observe anything without technically interfering with it, right? Um, Which you know that sort of gives credence to the fact that we're in a simulation, right? <laughs> um, I wish I was in a simulation. I feel like if we're in a simulation, like, couldn't it all just be a little bit better? Yeah, well, maybe this is like the bad one they're trying to see. They're going to run up a thousand simulations of really shitty circumstances and see what we do. Oh, they killed themselves again. <laughs> Let's run another one. Oh, again. Jeez, this is this is getting to be a bit much. Again! Um, the observer effect looks like it is actually related to uh, the Heisenberg. Heisenberg. Right, it makes you sense. You can't measure it accurately regardless of everything. Um, and of course... You know, the, the we don't have a unified theory of physics because quantum mechanics doesn't work with, with general relativity, which is what Einstein came up with. Um, so that's kind of interesting, that the fact that we can't, like, know everything about the universe because the very small doesn't work well with the very large, or they work according to different principles. And uh, and we just mentioned how, you know, Einstein was like, ah, I'm, I'm kind of not, I'm kind of not into this whole quantum thing, so. Right, right. Well, he say he called it funny action at a distance or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Um, so it seems like Oppenheimer had a fairly healthy dose of confidence. Yeah. Um, it certainly does. I kind of wonder because sometimes I feel like you, you, like you, if you think you're really smart and then you go and you go to Cambridge, I don't know where, I don't remember where he was, but, um, Smart people place. Yeah, smart people place. You become, you know, everyone here is that smart. And right. You become less confident. But it looks like he kind of continued to have a lot of faith in his own perceptions of things, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's interesting because he was getting bullied, right? But then Niels Bohr basically made it so that he was... I guess, It seems like they were showing that Niels Bohr gave him confidence in himself. Mm -hmm. you know? um, but... Niels Bohr liked my stuff. Yeah, I bet he did. Interesting, mm -hmm. uh, they're, the way that they showed his uh, class growing, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like a way to show that he was good at, at um, dispensing this information yeah. without having him actually do it in the movie. Mm -hmm. That was good, yeah. Um, and, and it shows he really has a passion for his subject, because I think the only way that you can um, have people enjoy your 
class and and grow like that is if is if you enjoy your subject mm -hmm. um yeah i think so too uh this is when he's already next door to to um what's his face right um yeah to josh, josh hartnett. hartnett yep i wanted to say chris klein and i was like not chris klein what the fuck is wrong with me yeah. <laughs> and, and like who's who's thought of chris klein recently then again who's thought of Kevin hartnett recently kevin hartnett um josh hartnett <laughs> Now, now I'm picturing the cross between Kevin Hart and Josh Hartnett. So, um, <laughs> that's a that's an, an attractive baby, I guess. You know? I guess so. I'm not sure. Um, of of medium height, generally. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I I did think this was kind of fun because they're talking about um, what's his name? So Oppie here <laughs> says <laughs> he he mentions black holes without saying black holes because he doesn't you know that's not what they were called at that point yeah and he's like perhaps someday an, an astronomer finds one you know and it's like clearly referencing stephen hawking here yeah you know <laughs> you, it, he almost like he almost looked up into the distance like maybe someday like you know yeah <laughs> Oppen oppenheimer will return in theory of everything <laughs> now you know we're we we we're moving on. We're meeting Florence Pugh. Mm -hmm. And he's going to read Sanskrit to her. Well, he doesn't read in Sanskrit. I mean, he reads, he does the translation. And it's the, you know, the famous line that is attributed to him. Like, I am whatever. I am become death destroyer of worlds. I have become death destroyer of worlds. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's what, that's what you would do if you met Florence Pugh immediately. Right. You'd be like, let's go read some Sanskrit. Well, she tells him to. Yeah, that's true. They were doing it, and she's like, "Let me go look at your bookshelf for a minute." And he's like, "Is that a euphemism?" Or it's not. You're, you're actually looking at the bookshelf. Okay. This is how good you are at this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. She went off and wandered away. He's like, "Okay, I'm not having enough of this." I do like books. That's true. <laughs> um, so you know, we're we're getting into this relationship between him and Florence Pugh, and I, what's her problem with Oppenheimer? Is you there just know. like, is there just like a mental illness here? I very much got the impression of it being just she's mentally ill and like mentally too. ill um, because you know it's, she's kind of dicking him around a lot of ways. Well, right. It's interesting because at first I was just like, okay, is she married? You know, like that's mm -hmm. what I I thought maybe he was having an she was having an affair, but then it's it's by the end of it, it's very clear that she's I don't know about very clear, but it seems clear that she's just got issues. Yeah, it's she she's a troubled woman, a troubled young woman. Yeah. Um, and then, so then we're, now we're going to meet his wife, Emily mm -hmm. Blunt, Kitty. Um, and I can't remember exactly what he says here, but what I remember is that it was a very romantic way to describe quantum mechanics. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. All right. He's pretty smooth. And I had, I just, I guess going, what's fascinating is, you know, I love history, right? And I'm not, I'm not the biggest World War II era history buff or anything. Mm -hmm. I know that that seems like that's like the period of history that history buffs love. Yeah. Um, not that it hasn't appealed to me, and I've I've read books on it and stuff like that, but I've it's just not the period that attracts me as much. But I didn't realize that Oppenheimer had such a complicated personal relationship. Absolutely not. I just assumed he was a normal guy. It turns out that he's got mistresses he's got affairs yeah. with married women and they don't even Kitty's go into all that right? yeah kitty is married and he steals her away 
And mm-hmm. apparently we find out later that he was having an affair with another married woman. Yeah. Who it seemed like they were on friendly terms, you yeah. know? Um, so they definitely like intimated that, but yeah, I definitely didn't realize that he was quite so horny. Yeah, me either. <laughs> but aren't we all? Um <laughs> I also enjoyed that uh I can't remember I can't remember when it happened, but he's like brilliance makes up for a lot. Yeah, I can't remember when that happened either, but it sort of explains a lot of his actions. I think he's just walking into rooms like, "Ah, what can I get away with here? Exactly. He's like, well, you know, I'm brilliant. So Mm -hmm. it's sort of like, um, (laughs) this is like a weird correlation to make, but, you know, I used to work in sales, right? And like, Mm -hmm. you could get away with as much as your sales figure showed you could get away with. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. So, so, like, if you were bringing in a lot of money, then you could pretty much just tell people to fuck off, and they'd be like, "Okay, well." Yep. That's that's basically that's a, kind of the plot of the entire series of, of Mad Men, I think. Um, right. Exactly. And you see it in sports all the time, you know. Right. Athletes can get away with a lot <laughs> as long as they're you know helping the team win. Right. And you know, as soon as, uh, but the problem with that is, is that you have to keep it up. Mm-hmm. Because then as soon as you uh as soon as you're not showing your worth, they're like, good, I was fucking sick of this guy anyway. Mm-hmm. Which kind of happens to Oppie here. Yep. And you know, and he's he's kind of hard-headed, right? And he's like, Well, I'm not a communist, and I don't feel like I should have to worry about who I'm associating with, mm-hmm. blah blah blah. And Josh Hartnett, so this is the part where he said brilliance makes up for a lot. Yeah. Um, but Josh Hartnett says, you're not just self-important. You're actually important. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was a, just a great line. Yeah, and he's also sort of stuck with how it theoretically should look. Like they should note it. They should realize that I'm not a communist and I can know people who are and it doesn't affect me. But right. in, in reality, the way it actually works in with people, with human beings, Oppie, is yeah. that you're going to seem to be a communist whether or not you actually are. You know, it's funny. It kind of harkens back to uh, our Finding Neverland one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jam Barry had this problem where he's like, but I'm not, you know, yeah, you have to get anything con- wrong. Yeah, you have so, to consider the optics of the situation. Yeah, perception. And, and, and J. Robert. <laughs> J., J. Robert Barry and J.M. Oppenheimer. <laughs> so what's this... You're going to have to help me jog my memory here. Mm. How can this man who saw so much be so blind? <laughs> Is somebody talking about Oppenheimer? Was it yeah. his wife? Um, it's entirely possible. It might have been. It might have been. Jo- I don't think it was Josh Hartnett because he's not in too many scenes that Oppenheimer isn't in, too. Right. And I don't think he would be talking about him in the third person. Um, you know, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I think it was Kitty, though, who said it. Sounds like it might have been. Because pretty soon after that is we get the concerning scene with the baby, which was oh yeah, uh, Kitty had some postpartum you know depression that yeah lasted very postpartum. Yeah. That, that kid was a kid and she still had no interest in it. So yeah, it was um we didn't delve too much into that relationship Mm-mm. into the relationship with his kids, but it was um. Not great, it didn't seem. No, um, and I, I was actually curious as to what, what was going on with Kitty more, but you, you can only fit so much into a nine-hour movie. So Yeah, right. So I just, I mean, like, so he, ga- he gave up his child. I mean, mm-hmm. 
yeah, just here, you take her. Take it. I, I, I don't know what, what take that. I think it was a son. I think it was a he, actually. Okay. But either way, I mean, it's just, it's just wild, right? Yeah, I go, just I was not expecting this. Yeah, go to your friends and, hey, would you like this child? Or you're, you're giving me your child? Yes. Well, this, <laughs> this is where brilliance can get away with a lot, right? Because, mm -hmm. like, they're like, well, I, yeah, I'll help the great Robert Oppenheimer, you yeah. know? Was this was this the Chevalier? Yeah, Chevalier or whatever. Yep. Yeah, I, 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 this, I, I'm usually good keeping track of wide ranging characters, but um, this 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 movie was actually a little tough to keep up with sometimes. It is, yeah. Well, because you know, it's it's the trouble with a biopic, you mm -hmm. know, where you're trying to present a lot of information in, in a relatively short amount of time. So, mm -hmm. um, but now we're gonna meet Matt Damon, mm -hmm. who kind of has a really funny intro into this movie like i i enjoyed him he has a couple of parts actually that are kind of funny um not like laugh out you know rolling on the floor funny but um i don't know he's kind of i like i like how blunt he is and i like how you know yeah i like he's willing willing to say what needs to be said and but at the same time not be a dick about it too much like military persona it's fun you know what was fun is I'm sorry. Oh, I just want to say. I, I just. I, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> All I wanted to say is that I ended up liking his character more than I thought I would. Yeah. Same here. I am. Um, well, you know what I thought was interesting is I felt like whenever it was Matt Damon, whenever it was you know Leslie Groves mm -hmm. and Robert Oppenheimer, whenever they were like interacting with each other, it mm -hmm. felt very Sorkin esque in dialogue. <laughs> it did a little bit. You know what I mean? He brought he brought that kind of energy to every scene he was in, which was fun unexpected but fun yeah well and you know what it, it sort of makes sense when you find out the back the you know background of this guy's he's an engineer mm. from mit yeah so he <laughs> you know keep up with oppenheimer exactly it's so funny because you know here i here here i am i'm fucking nobody i have nothing no 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 nothing from anything i'm not an engineer from mit is what we'll say um I, I, well you know he was a, he was an engineer from mit but at the same time, they only gave that to him because he solved the equation on the blackboard when nobody was there, and <laughs> they they decided that that was worth a, 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 a master's An engineering whatever. degree. Yeah. yeah, they were like, "All right, we'll give it to you." Um, but no, uh, you know, like here comes the military character, and I'm like, "Oh, military jarhead meat guy, right?" I know jarheads are marines, but um, you know what I mean. Like, yeah, I do. he's gonna I come do. in and be like, I'm dumb, get it done. I don't know what this, I don't know much about this physics here, Robert Oppenheimer, but do it anyway. But no, he's a freaking engineer. And like, it just makes me think, like, how smart are people, like, how smart are the really smart people? Cause I'm not even anywhere near Leslie Groves level smart, you know, cause I couldn't do that. So, like, how, how far above it, it's like, do you remember Brian Scalabrini, the basketball player, put out a little yeah. challenge? you know just fine see if you can beat me one-on-one -on -one. you think i suck so much and yeah would, i remember this because he's he like would, i was played in the nba yeah and he's like yeah. i'm closer to lebron james than you are to me yeah <laughs> and like that's what i think and he like, proved how, it right yeah and he destroyed all of them because an nba player is one of the top you know 0.1 percent basketball players on earth maybe not quite 0.1 but actually it might be it might be yeah but anyway, yeah, so I'm thinking, how how smart is the really smart guy if he's that much smarter than the guy who's already way smarter than me? So. Right. <laughs> so Oppenheimer had a whole town built. He had a whole town built for Los Alamos. And in the movie, crazy. 
in the movie they make it seem as though it's just you know he almost just wanted a town near where he liked to be in new mexico so i don't know if that was true or not it does it did make it seem that way but he, i i he, think he just knew that it was remote yeah that was remote enough and it worked for whatever reason yeah because he talks about how remote it is and he says if i could combine this area and science i'd be happy so <laughs> oh, that's right i uh, i imagine he was satisfied with himself Se- seemed a little uh manipulative to me a little tiny bit though yeah i mean there are times when i get the impression that he is uh, a little too smart for his own good type thing mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. Sometimes when you're smart enough to solve every problem, you think you can approach human relationships the same way. I I liked that he was very, like when he's trying to convince the scientists to come, mm-hmm. he's, he's very like calm about it. And he's just, you know, talks it through. He like knows that the, the scientific curiosity will get peaked, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> they show the, the general there. Which, by the way, did you realize he went from a colonel to like a two-star general? I I think I may have, but I I also think I forgot like quickly. I just I was may. like, okay, that's kind of fast. Well, <laughs> you know, wartime promotions. Um, but yeah, I just I I enjoyed that scene when he gets like sick of everybody being like, you know, well, I don't know if I want to do the mm-hmm. like, why would I do this? And then. <laughs> How about because this is the most important thing to happen in the fucking world? Yeah, you know, actually, that was in, like, the commercials, and I remember seeing that and thinking, you know, he's not wrong. It is kind of just about the most important thing in human history to that point, and possibly still. Right, exactly. Given that we can destroy ourselves seven times over or something with what we have right now. Yeah, it's sort of disturbing when you think Well, hey, don't worry. Even Even if we don't blow ourselves up completely... Uh, you know, rapid human-caused climate change will do it for us. Izzy? You know, the character Izzy, but played by the head elf from the Santa Claus? Oh, yeah! I, I, I was looking at him throughout the entire movie going, where do I know him from? And then I looked it up afterward and I was like, holy macaroni! No, yeah. I am not one to sit here and criticize people for having put on some weight. And he might have done it for the role, for all I know. But uh, he's, he's rather heavier than he was when he was the head elf in um the santa claus and the friend uh, and, uh joseph gordon levitt's friend in uh um 10 things i hate about you oh right <laughs> well i forgot that he was in that but no he's he's heavier now um but he's uh like i saw him i think it was in uncut gems mm-hmm. did you see that one no i i want to but oh it's so good well, I mean, the fact that Adam Sandler didn't get nominated for Best Actor for that role is like a travesty. I opinion. still, I still think that former comedians face like a difficulty in getting taken. Like they can have a great performance and just, I don't know, it's just not received the same way. Because I agree, a lot, of, a lot of them don't win. There have been several big roles where Eddie Murphy didn't win. Not that he necessarily should have, but. Um, and Eddie Murphy, Rob Williams. I mean, he Robin, eventually yeah. won, but you know, still. It was for best supporting actor. Yeah, uh, Jim Carrey never even got nominated. You know, mm-hmm. and I thought he was really good in the Truman Show. Anyway, so two things that happened next that happened next, which I, I one I enjoyed, and two I was just terrified and fascinated by. So mm-hmm. one was I watching Oppenheimer in the uniform was really. Mm-hmm. 
crazy. And then he was just like, take off your, that ridiculous uniform. Yeah, I was actually thinking before that character said it, I was like, I hope he takes that off at some point because this is not good. I, I know, I thought it was like, this doesn't look right. I don't know why he's doing this. And uh, and I'm glad that he did. And I and I, I loved the reasoning behind. I don't know if that's actually what happened, but it's mm -hmm. very cool. Um, and then I did not know that they thought a chain reaction would happen that would the, burn the atmosphere and end the world. Yeah, I had actually heard that at some point in the past and was like, wow, I'm glad that that didn't happen. Not that I, not that it would matter to me because I've never been born, but I'm rather glad that they didn't, that, that, that it didn't. And it's funny that they went ahead with it anyway. Like they were like, oh, well. Well, I, I just, I'm like, I, it just blew me away that that was actually a thought. And like, not only was it a thought, but it wasn't like, it's never like it was basically like well it could happen mm -hmm. it's extremely low probability but it could mm -hmm. and we've how many have we tested at this point you know yeah i like that's crazy to me like one one bad one in the and the, the end of the world well you know <laughs> wow so now we uh we end up back at chevalier's house right and he's mm -hmm. he's like i don't remember why he went back there you know went home for a little bit or something who knows yeah i think, it was, yeah, I think it was just a visit and it was kind of a really tense scene where he's basically being like do you want to be a, a spy you be for a russians <laughs> if anyone if anyone has any information that they'd like to give to the russians leave it right here <laughs> a little anonymous you know tip box well it's not fair that they're not sharing yeah we're yeah. allies yeah and i liked i like this part being the part i think the the concerns about spying had already been mentioned a lot right at this point by yes. this point and he's like oh this is what they meant <laughs> like, yeah yeah <laughs> i see it's not it's not necessarily inevitable that my communist friends would have done this but i i get now i suppose why they were worried and we've been kind of cutting back and forth between, you know, the Manhattan Project, the the hearing, and mm -hmm. um, and the, uh, the I guess the other hearing, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, for his not the two, two different hearings, yeah, the security clearance and the uh, security right. clearance, yeah, thank you. And then I just I'm like, I'm surprised that Strauss wanted Commerce Secretary so badly. Yeah, I actually didn't realize that it was Commerce Secretary. I was like, "What? What is? What was he? Secretary of State or something? Like, why is he?" And then, and it was like, "Oh, okay." I mean, now I say that, and if like you know, I was nominated by a president to be the secretary of anything, mm -hmm. I guess I would be like, "Yeah, I really want to do that." But I don't know that I like if I was if if it looked like it was not going to work, I'd be like, "I'm good." Yeah, it seemed like it's the end of his life practically. Like, if he doesn't get this, I know. Like, I don't know why you're fighting so hard to be commerce secretary. Like, who gives a shit? Yeah, he was a tool. Yeah. I so now we're talking about the H bomb, right? Mm -hmm. With uh Heller. And mm -hmm. I enjoyed that. Like, well, what would we need to, to do the fusion bomb? It's like, well, we need we need a fission fission bomb first. Yeah. The small one. They're like, so we need the thing that we're trying to build before <laughs> we can do this one. Um you're getting but a little I, ahead of yourself there, guy. Who, who yeah. by the way, this is this is an example of I'm good with with like remembering people's names like when I only hear them once or twice, but I just had a I had a little bit of a hard time with some of these guys. This guy's name was just Edward Teller. And 
Teller, that's right. Teller, yeah. And like he was just I said Heller, so oh whatever. Um he was from someplace else too, and just he has like a normal ass name. Like it kind of wish he had had like a really ethnic name and like could have remembered it easier, I think. Yeah, you know it's funny. I always I've always thought that it would be easier to remember uh names that are funkier. Mm -hmm. But I've actually found that it's easier to remember names that are like more normal for me, mm -hmm. you know, like I, if I, if somebody was like, you know, hi, I'm Abnock. <laughs> I, I might just forget that later and be like, what's your name again? I know it's crazy, but what is it? Mm -hmm. And if somebody's like, hi, I'm, you know, I don't know, Don, then <laughs> I just will remember that that person's Don. Cause it's just so simple to remember. Oh, I'm changing and my you, name to Abnock though. <laughs> Not Zebulon. No. The rank with Zebulon and Abnock. <laughs> well, I see a name change in our future. But exactly. I was thinking when we when they were talking about the fission bomb and the fusion bomb, you know, H bomb and everything, I was like, mm -hmm. ooh, I smell a sequel. <laughs> <laughs> Oppenheimer too. <laughs> the Cold War. It's kind of not but not a bad sequel subtitle, Zach. I hate. I, I was trying to come up with something idiotic, like and funny, but all I could think of was electric boogaloo, and that's it's a little overdone. <laughs> well, I was thinking there's there's the scene here where they've got a guy who's like this guy's coming over from Britain, mm -hmm. and um, of course he ends up being a Russian spy. Yeah, he, so like, he, he's the one who ends up being a spy. Yeah, but I I kind of felt like he like when I first saw him, I'm like, what's going on with this guy? Mm -hmm. You know, it seemed weird. Because we never talk about him again after that, right? Yeah, and I actually liked him immediately because he said something right. that I thought was fun and and like poignant. Where they ask, "How long have you been British?" and he says, "Since the Nazis told me I wasn't German." Right, exactly. Since Hitler told me I wasn't German. I also like the part when uh, I, 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 it's it's irrelevant, but there's a part. What did you say his name was? The David Crumholtz character. Izzy Isidore. Izzy? I I had the hardest time remembering his name too. But they're talking on the train, remember, way back at the beginning, and, and Oppenheimer's reading in, in um, I think it's Dutch at that point. And, oh, yeah. Uh, and and he's like, oh, Oppenheimer, oh, yeah. well, you know a lot of languages, whatever. Well, but And he says something in Yiddish, and he's like, but you don't know Yiddish? And Oppenheimer says, they don't speak Yiddish on my side of the park. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a fun New York New York Jew joke. If I was like, mm, that's fun. So He also said something about him like being a show-off. In mm -hmm. Yiddish, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That that's probably the word he used. Yeah. Yeah. I know it. <laughs> they don't speak Yiddish in my side of the park either, which is here. Well, because he was like, I learned Dutch in like a month. Yeah. Exactly. I learned it enough to give a, a lecture. A on lecture. Quantum yeah. mechanics. <laughs> like, what a dick! I can't even say it's hello. Impressive. In if the distance between me and just the army general guy is enormous what's the distance between me and oppenheimer and then even oppenheimer wasn't really maybe quite at like einstein's level so what the fuck i mean he's probably pretty close to einstein's level but i feel like there might even be a whole other level for all i know um uh newman neumann neumann um neumann john von neumann neumann the uh, n-e-u-m-a-n yeah yeah okay um, Hungarian American mathematician and physicist. It doesn't matter. He's like there's thirty thousand things named for him, um, like across different fields because he was one of those like Renaissance types. Mm -hmm. But but there were other geniuses who knew him, 
I, I, I'm not going to bother trying to find the quote and who said it exactly, but other like really well-known mathematicians and physicists and everything who would say things like, sometimes I think there's a higher race of people who are like geniuses and he must be one of them. That's how much smarter he is than everybody else. And really that, that like, I end up going like, what the fuck, you know, like what, what, what the fuck? <laughs> like, how is, how is somebody that much of a genius? Uh, fastest mind I ever met. Jacob Bronkowski wrote, he was the cleverest man I ever saw without exception. Um, true genius. The others were super smart, but he was the only true genius among them, etc., etc. Uh, I've always had delusions of grandeur being able to do things like geniuses do in the movie, you know, where you, where, where you can just figure things out right away and people are like, wow. Yeah. And like, you know, I'm not dumb. Like, I'm I'm fairly intelligent. So I've had I've had like some moments where that happens, you know, where they're like, oh, wow, I never thought of that. That's like perfect. You know, like that really worked. But most of the time, like it just, you know, falls flat. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, man, I'm not a genius. This sucks. Yep. Yep. I want to be a genius so bad. Well, I will say that at least you're smart enough to realize that you're not. There are a lot of people running around thinking that they are geniuses and they very much aren't. I won't name any names. EM? Mm. Um, JB? Let's move on. I was, <laughs> I, I, I was thinking uh, DT particularly. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> he's a stable genius. So. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't matter. These people are really smart, though. So, like, what the fuck? <laughs> Guys, knock it off. Really would like I, uh... Oh, God, I'm sorry. Meanwhile, I you know want like all the geniuses to like figure out how to do all the stuff I want to do. Like I don't know, pausing time, for instance, so I can sleep in more. I mean, that sounds pretty amazing. <laughs> it's what I would definitely do. Just sleep as long as possible. Can you imagine just being able to sleep as long as you wanted to? I mean, I gotta tell you, that sounds like a dream. I you know what with well, you know children. <laughs> um, it sounds like a dream because you'd be dreaming. <laughs> hey, you know what's funny is Matt Damon in this mm. when like he's like, uh, I don't like it. And the member's like, you don't like anything enough to be a fair for that to be a fair test. <laughs> <laughs> Which again felt very Sorkin like. Yep. Same. Um, um yeah, where are we now? I don't know. It, well, we've so the next scene they they were showing the table from uh black and white. Where they're talking about developing the H bomb or not? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. With that that big dinner and uh, I don't know. Right. It, 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 this was interesting because this was like the part where we're really where we're really getting like the pressure from the outside to like, no, we want you to develop this whether you want to or not. Now. Right. Exactly. And it's and, like a little bit of a genie out of the bottle situation where you gave us a really great weapon, give us some more now. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and you know, and and this is where Oppenheimer's like, there's no proof that there was a spy, and then, and then the, you know, Robert Downey Jr.'s character Strauss, he mm-hmm. like Robert, and then just lifts up the document. He's you know showing that there was a atomic test in Russia. Mm-hmm. It's like this. This is the proof. Yeah, the fact that they <laughs> have a bomb. Although yeah. they could have gotten it on their own, I guess. I know, but I just I, I think it's. I think in this case he was probably right. Oh yeah. <laughs> so um 
And then that lieutenant colonel, by the way, that was like beneath Matt Damon. Mm. What a weasel that guy I is. Know. Yeah. That's 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 the uh one of the things that this does really well is, you know, it's got all these higher concept things, but it also gets you engaged with a lot of the the more human aspects of it, which is obviously, I mean, that's that's good writing and filmmaking and everything else, but it did, did a very good job of that, where, like, the, the personal drama is just as tense as, maybe not quite just as tense as the uh, atomic bomb that's a little bit more tense, but it but is, still but very there's yeah, the the whole thing, every bit of this is engaging. Mm -hmm. It's it's pretty amazing. I have to say though, the whole bit with him bringing Florence Pugh flowers, I'm like, why do you bring them? Yeah, I don't understand. Like, okay, she just throws them in the trash. Yeah, um, Cause, yeah, because he's, he's always either. gonna bring them. Oh, and then a whole lot of <laughs> both of them being equally nude in a weird scene. Like, yeah, this <laughs> is kind of like I. It's not. It's not bad. It's just out of nowhere. And um, <laughs> what did you think of uh, of Emily Blunt like seeing them doing it while she's you know in the like she she sees in her mind's eye that you well I thought it was a really clever trick yeah. showing him being naked yeah you know ve like very exposed in that situation uh -huh, yeah and then in turn like as it's turning you're also seeing like not only is he being exposed but she's reliving this. Yeah experience i thought it was really well done actually the the her seeing it the him feeling naked worked really well for me and then the her seeing them doing it a step too far but not in a way that really makes that much of a difference just it's just like personal i don't know that i would have gone quite that far with the metaphor but it still worked a perfectly okay and it did not diminish the movie at all for me yeah that's interesting that that i i could see where you're coming from because it is sort of like you know we get it but yeah. I think it was important to show so to me when it was him just naked mm -hmm. it was showing you know like he feels vulnerable his vulnerability mm -hmm. and then that happening in front of her was showing her vulnerability that's a good it. point well that's how one, i took it that's 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 a really good point i will however say that it does feel like the them doing it scene goes on a little bit too long in the way that florence Pugh looks up and stares at emily blunt's character i can't remember the names <laughs> <laughs> um, that that's what it felt like. All right, this, this can be quicker than than that. I think I can't remember Florence Pugh's name, but I. So this is what I was talking about. She had like a kind of a, like Tatakana Kutakana or whatever. She had kind of <laughs> crazy name, and uh, Emily Blunt's character is Kitty. It's very easy to remember. <laughs> um, no, yeah, but otherwise the scene definitely worked for me. Yeah, I'm just like amazed at how many people there were in this movie. I know. Every other person, I was like, I know this person. Yeah, I mean the the president in Scandal is mm -hmm. is in there. Mm -hmm. uh, I just was like, this is wild. Oh, you know who's in the uh, the security clearance hearings? You know the guy, like he wasn't a prosecutor because it wasn't a prosecutor, but he was basically the prosecutor. Yeah, was like a he really looked really guy. familiar to me, and I couldn't place where he was from. He plays Jerry West on. Uh, That's on... what it is. Yes, yeah. He's really I had good to go back too. Yeah, I know. I, I had to go back and look him up. Like, I know this fucker. What from? What from? Yeah, that's so funny because I was like, wow, he looks so familiar to me. Mm -hmm. um, well, thanks for clearing that up for me. You're welcome. Um, so then we find out that General Groves did actually protect Oppenheimer by mm -hmm. kicking out Pash, which yeah. Casey Affleck out of nowhere, yeah. who played menacing kind of well, by the mm -hmm. way. That character was actually kind of intimidating. 
yeah like quite the way, what we're hearing about him and then the way he's acting it's like wow this guy's not just weasley he's like a like you know who he reminded me of christoph waltz oh for sure you know I guess, I guess it's good that we have guys like that on our side too but yeah <laughs> jeez i don't um, want to have dinner with him and i find a fat you know the guy who played borden maybe so borden is the the one that like Strauss was like, oh, yeah, he's the one who did this. I don't know how he got the information. I'm innocent and all this. Uh-huh, right? Yeah. That actor, he just always plays a scumbag. Yeah. <laughs> I would, uh, If I was an actor, I would love to be the actor who specializes in, in, in dirt balls like that. Be really? Fun. Yeah, it would be fun. Uh, you know, playing a villain is always more fun than playing a hero. So I'd, I'd always. <laughs> That's what they fun. say. Yeah, that, that would be my thing. And I wouldn't be like, you know, Hitler. I'd be like just the fucking asshole who nobody likes. Yeah. It comes naturally to me. <laughs> well, I they were they said something here. You know, Oppenheimer says it was like he he thought that this would end all war, right? Mm-hmm. The reason yeah. he kept going forward with it because he thought a weapon of this magnitude would would just basically end war. Nobody yeah. would be interested in it. Man, I wish that was true. Yep, not quite what happened. However, you know, the Cold War... I get was, why he was thinking it, though. Yeah, there was a, it did have that deterrent effect, but um, still, we, we still... We just found ways around where we could still kill each other, but not really drop too many bombs too frequently. Well, it's sort of fascinating, right? Because the wars since then, nobody wants to drop these kind of crazy bombs, right? Mm-hmm. So it's basically just been like a large country going after a small country. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, I don't know. It just feels like from America's standpoint, like, Hey, you shouldn't do that. So we're going to get you. Um, well, regardless of what the thing is that they shouldn't do, whether it's like, (laughs) you shouldn't have all the oil. You know, Um, it's, it's like we have one of those, uh, slips that our boss gave us and we just fill in the reason later. Yeah, exactly. We are declaring war on, well, not even not even always declaring war, but we are invading you for, and we just figure that out a bit. Yes. Yeah. We'll invade and then we'll write it in. WMDs. I mean, at least with Putin, it's it's like the the motive is sort of obvious. Like it's very uh traditional. I just want the land. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I wish that people would be like that more. Just fuck them. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to kill these guys, you know. Yeah. So we get to this part where you know they're like you need to you know robert oppie you need to talk to them mm-hmm. right because you're the one that can give me you can convince anyone of anything including mm-hmm. yourself yeah that was a nice little stab there for sure but now we've gotten to the point where we're we're leading up to the the big test the trinity test right mm-hmm. and it's like it's really tense mm-hmm. oh god the the leading up to that test part was like Good lord, that was you know it had me had me on the edge of my seat. Not too much was happening until the actual bomb was dropped. And then yeah, no, me too. And then and then of course, and he, and it's weird because you know what's going to happen. It's going to work, but you still yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. There's no there's no real drama behind it, but um, but you know then you get <laughs> Matt Damon finds out, General Groves finds out that uh, they could ignite the atmosphere, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's like, well, you know, the odds are near zero. He's like, yeah. <laughs> well, what would you want? He's like, I'd like it to be zero. <laughs> <laughs> Another example of a fun line from him. So, yeah. <laughs> that's why he was such a, like a, you know, it's actually good to have a character who adds some levity, but doesn't like ruin the tone of the movie. Yeah. 
because he doesn't come in and be slapsticky. He just says things that are conceivably clever for the situation. Well, you know what it is. It's like, um, it's like you need the person who has. Uh, I'm trying to think of the right word for it. Like, has their feet on the ground. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. As opposed to like these these uh physicists that are all just dreaming up this yeah. stuff right so he's like sort of like okay i'm smart too yeah but like you guys live in a different world mm -hmm. you know so i'm gonna bring you back to the real world yeah that's actually a good point that's why it's it's uh it's uh it makes sense that he has the engineering degree then there's i i, I know some mathematicians and they like to make jokes about engineers and mathematicians having very different ways of looking at things because one's yes. like entirely theoretical and one's entirely practical right well yeah and that's exactly what this is mm -hmm. so that's a good point um but yeah holy shit what a scene mm -hmm. it's incredible now this is the one they they made the decision to like have everything go pretty quiet when the bomb goes off right well you don't hear the bomb yeah they're showing that you're seeing it from very from very far away yeah but you don't hear it until you know the speed of sound makes it until it catches up with it yeah um so yeah they like turn on like no sound at all which mm -hmm. is interesting what, what were your what was your take on that i thought it was super effective because yeah. in some ways it was even more like exciting intense than some sort of big loud noise at that point because it leads up with all this tension and then like the release is like not even the release is almost as tense as the buildup, and then I love the shockwave going over over everybody. You know, yeah, and how intense that was. Gives you a gives you a good sense of what actually it would have been like on the ground when they dropped the real ones. You know, yeah. Well, you know what I thought was interesting about it. So they, you know, they do the test. It goes off flat. You know, really bright flash of light, and it's just dead silent. Mm -hmm. And to me, it was like this moment of like normally the thing that you've been working on all movie it works mm -hmm. yep. and then it's like a celebration and there's a catharsis yeah. to it but with the no sound uh -huh. it more it felt more like it what have we done yep yep um, which i really liked really worked for me absolutely and then the the following scene or at least a couple of scenes from then i can't quite remember where it shows oppenheimer going into the i guess it's like a gym or something yeah like, they're like cheering him on and they're yeah. stopping their feet and everything and, yeah. and it, it's in slow-mo and he's got that thing going on where he's imagining at least one woman i think it was just one woman he picked out and he was imagining her like disintegrating from being yeah irradiated yeah. and i thought that that was actually effect or i think it was just one or just a couple of people and i think that's actually more effective than imagining the whole crowd because it makes it more personal yeah where like if you if, if you abstractly think of hundreds thousands of whatever people dying it's like oh well you know that's a large number but one person you have to watch go through that well yeah it was he picked one person to see that mm -hmm. and he picked another person to see like the pain right right because right. yeah. she was like screaming yeah like like crying like the emotional pain so there was yeah. like one woman that was the emotional pain and one woman was the physical pain yeah it's um, and it's and it's also really effective to draw a uh a, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, two things that are similar, and you're drawing a between them. A line? <laughs> a uh, correlation. Not, oh, not really okay. A correlation. Something like that. Let's just let's fill that in later with a word that makes sense. But um, 
because he, he's not really changing the way they're screaming all that much. So like their their euphoria at having succeeded isn't all that different in a way from this pain that you would be screaming in, in you know agony. Yeah. They're both just extreme emotions. And um God, this part actually made me like almost get nervous myself. The the banging, like it, it was like a, yeah. a really loud banging from like everybody's feet. And it's yeah. like going through his head and like I was like, holy shit, this is this is fucking worse than the bomb. In some but sense. then it goes to dead silence again. Dead silence again. Yep. Which was jarring. Mm -hmm. It was just like, oh my gosh. This, yeah, this entire part just was like, oh, breathtaking in a sense. It was, well, it was, you know, capturing the moral responsibility, you know, mm -hmm. and it's Absolutely. like, oh man, uh, it's just, yeah, it was really. And I loved it as, as a way of showing that Oppenheimer understands like the implications of this, right? And the, the weight of it without it's showing without telling because like if you have a scene where he's going on you know that we have a great moral responsibility here that would be like yeah whatever but this like you're feeling it along with him yeah well because he's looking forward and everything's still but behind him mm -hmm. everything yep. is shaking i mean really i just I, you know christopher nolan is an incredible filmmaker mm -hmm. i you know i i, I like desperately was trying not to fanboy while i was writing all this out you, you know same because i don't want to be one of those christopher nolan types yeah but at the same time what are you gonna do it's good god damn it's so yeah. good i'm not gonna, I'm not gonna yeah i'm not gonna dislike it just because i don't want it to seem like a tool i already seem like a tool <laughs> i did have one one question though wouldn't kitty have seen the fireball or heard the explosion or um, the yeah. cloud or anything i just think it's, it's weird that he would have to call her and tell her to pull to in the sheets longer, yeah um, yeah, you'd think so, but I, because uh, I'm pretty sure that's that's visible at a very long distance, but maybe she I would wondering. think so. Uh, maybe he, I, I think he might have told her not to look in case. Oh, maybe. Know, unprotected maybe. at damage. You don't think she eye. would have heard it, though? I guess maybe yeah. not. I don't know. These these are these are questions I don't have the answer to. Well, it doesn't matter. Oh, okay. Glad it doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm um, it doesn't really, like, change the movie at all for me. Mm -hmm. I just thought it was... Like I'm just, I'm. I guess I was more curious. Is like, is this cinematic or did this actually happen? Yeah, yeah, that's actually interesting. And I know the the American Prometheus book is like 900 pages or some shit, so I'm never gonna read it. But it would be interesting to get, you know, maybe go through like a somebody put together a YouTube video showing a lot of the uh, things that were true and what was exaggeration or wholesale whole cloth invention. Um, not me, just somebody do that. <laughs> I mean. I'm surprised to hear you say that because I definitely will read this book. Oh well, you know that's the difference between you and me. But I, maybe I, you don't like biographies in history. I don't really like bi well. I'm weird. I read an entire long biography of Peggy Guggenheim. Really? Like, Who the fuck is she? Right? But I did nonetheless. Um, I think it I'm, depends on the writer. It probably does. And also, like, I don't know. I don't like political figures as much as you. Basically, I don't want anything with 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 politics or like you know geo politics in it. Um, interesting. It's too heavy. Huh. I prefer art. You know. Well, I'm speaking more... of politics, we're gonna meet Gary Oldman playing a Democrat. Yeah, I know. That I was like, fun. that is fun. I was wondering. I was wondering if that informed his uh his portrayal at all. Why? Because he made him look like such an asshole. He came across as an asshole, and I guess he was really an asshole in the actual like occurrence as well. Because uh, the uh, I read online that the taking out the handkerchief and you know saying you know like to wipe his tears you know or wipe the blood away that he thinks is on his hands apparently yeah. that was real. 
And um, he did, in fact, say, get that, you know, I don't want that crybaby to come back in here as he was leaving, like, so Oppenheimer could hear. So that apparently was all true. But still, he came across very dickish. Yes, he did. And I did not know that that was true. Uh, maybe I did it. So I read the uh, Truman biography by um, mm -hmm. McCulloch, mm -hmm. which was excellent, by the way. Yeah, well, another thing I'm not going to read, but he's a great writer, so you might enjoy the read. I'm glad somebody's out there reading them, like making sure that they're good. But you know, <laughs> well, anyway, uh, Do yeah, work, so I don't have to. They they really did not make him look good. Um, I thought he was like a like a nice down home kind of guy, like oh oh, Oppie, don't you worry. That blood, that their blood isn't on your hands, it's on my hands. Apparently he's Foghorn Leghorn in my head. <laughs> well, he did have a good point about that. I mean, him That's saying true. that, like, the Japs don't... The Japs? <laughs> <laughs> him saying that the Japanese don't care about who invented the bomb. Yeah. But they, they care who dropped the bomb, right? Mm -hmm. Who made the decision to drop it. He's mm -hmm. absolutely right on that. Mm -hmm. Like, 100%. Um. But yeah, calling him a crybaby over it is like a lot, I think. And uh, you think you think Gary Oldman's going to try to play Stalin next and get like the trifecta of of, <laughs> a, of a World War II leadership? Although you know he didn't play Roosevelt, but close enough. He could though. He <laughs> he could though. He's willing to put on the makeup, as we've seen. <laughs> um, although I heard he's retiring. So oh, Gary. Well, he's an old man. You can't do this forever. I did think it was interesting. It, it, so we go back to like the the, the trial, the uh, for the scary clearance, you know, mm -hmm. and, which and it, it really it really comes across as a trial. I understand it's just a hearing, but yeah, he's out there fighting for his life. Yeah. Well, I just think it's interesting because they're like basically we've come to learn now that that it's Strauss, that mm -hmm. Robert Downey Jr. is the villain in this. Yeah, that was it. Was interesting because they don't reveal it until they reveal it very gradually. That because at first well, we like you know like I was starting to get the impression. Mm -hmm. I was like because it was like I don't know how Borden got the thing, and I don't know. And then yeah. I was just like you know this keeps coming up, and I'm like I bet Strauss gave it to him. Mm -hmm. But um, I mean, it wasn't like I was so far ahead. But I like mm -hmm. it was before the movie told me, but um, not that far ahead. Mm -hmm. Not before. But I did think it was so interesting that the the his wife Kitty, mm -hmm. she's like it's Strauss, mm -hmm. and I'm like, man, the the women always know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Men are so stupid. Mm, that's true. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> um, and like, and then like you, now you're really getting the impression of what a weasel Strauss is, mm. and like how vindictive and like. Uh, sensitive he is, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, the vindictiveness is what really gets me. Someone after the movie asked me, um, so what was Strauss's motivation? And I'm like, I don't know. I think he was just an asshole. Yeah, it sounded like to me that he just was like, I don't want him to have all the power because he thinks yeah. he's powerful, you know? Yeah, and meanwhile, I'm not even sure that that was something that Oppenheimer was thinking. I'm going to take this power from Strauss. Strauss was just like paranoid and right. And, exactly. And worried. And it's funny because I'm not positive. The movie did a great, great job. And I don't mean this as an insult, 
but I'm not sure it did a great job of establishing that about Strauss, but like at the same time, what I mean is if this was fictional, I'd be like, I'm not sure that they really gave us enough to make us think that Strauss would really do that, but he did. And like right. pe people's, people's, people's uh, actions don't always make sense. Well, so there's, I think that they do give you that, mm -hmm. like that he was vindictive and paranoid and, and narcissistic. Mm -hmm. And there's just, there's one line and it's by the, the fictional character, the only mm -hmm. fictional character in this movie, which is played by um, Aaron Reich. Uh-huh. He, uh, oh, right. Yeah. Okay. I know he, he says to him, I know we're getting ahead. This is because this is basically at the end. Yeah. Because he's like, he's like obsessed with the whole Einstein wouldn't even talk to me after he talked to him, you know, mm -hmm. thing. And then the guy just, just goes, it probably like it didn't have it, it probably had nothing to do with you because mm -hmm. you don't matter. Yeah. And I think that was basically saying his motivation is that he wanted to matter to everybody that was important. He wanted to be more slightly more important to them. Yeah. Or than them. So I think that was where they gave it to you. Well, um, well, so where we were was like basically he's Oppenheimer's like his is uh Josh Hartnett, mm -hmm. that character, I can't remember his name. Is he gonna Lawrence? Is he gonna mm -hmm. help me? And um and Crumholtz, uh Izzy. Mm -hmm. It was like, well, he was, but Strauss told him that you know the reason Dolman died was because of a broken heart because you were fucking his wife. Mm -hmm. And he was like, That's crazy. He never found out. I <laughs> <laughs> was yeah. like Wow, Aki really was a womanizer. Yeah, for real. Um, you know, being, you know, it's funny because you don't think the nerds get the women, but I guess sometimes they do. Well, when you got game, you know. That's true. And game, knows, I, game knows no creed or intelligence level. It was just crazy how much of a kangaroo court this really was, you mm -hmm. know? Oh, yeah. And it's, it was, it was and it's just true. Then. Yeah. And Although it's it, not like for cinematic effect. Just that's what it was. Yeah. And uh I did like that one that one guy who was I don't know who, were they were they judges or were they yeah. just like um well, I don't know if they were judges but yeah they were yeah, judging. Yeah, they were judging. Yeah, I'm not really um, sure what, what role they actually or what they jobs they actually had, but that was the role they filled. He um, was the dissenter. Yep, the, the one dissenter, guy, right? Yep. yep. I liked him, but the rest of it was pretty clearly predecided. And God, it made me want to smack that prosecutor guy, who again wasn't a prosecutor, but was. It's Jim Jordan. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, that's that's. I mean, that's the modern day mm -hmm. Roger Mudd or whatever the hell his name was. You know, I think that might have been his name, but uh, I think it was Roger was... Rudd or something like that. I think it was two R's. No, no, no. His name was Mudd, but uh, <laughs> but yeah. Oh my God, what a what a slime ball and like oh. It would be very difficult to keep your cool in that kind of situation, and uh, he, like big ups to uh, Kitty Oppenheimer for getting on. Oh my gosh, she was such a just, badass, just destroying them. I was like, <laughs> good God, this is like the climax of the movie for me. Her being, her being that much better than them at that. Um, yeah, I mean, it, so right just before they show her testimony mm -hmm. there. They 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 have this line in the black and white portion of things mm -hmm. where they're like, "Is anyone ever going to tell the truth about what's happening here?" Yeah. Um, and I was thinking, like, I'm really hoping Doctor Hill will, 
and mm-hmm. I couldn't even remember who Doctor Hill was. You know, like, <laughs> who, who, of course, it's Rami Malek, and this is like yeah. the only lines in the movie. I'm like, uh-huh. well, fucking, that made you look awesome, didn't it? Yep. But anyway, <laughs> um, and, and speaking of random people showing up in this goddamn movie repeatedly, Rami Malek, like, I know what's he doing? <laughs> I didn't know. I did. How did I not know he was in this movie at all? I, I didn't know actually... Casey Affleck was in it. I I only. I only knew Rami Malek was in it because I had like just read about it before going to see the movie. Yeah, I I kind of avoided a lot of like advanced stuff about it because I knew I just wanted to see it. I didn't even realize Robert Downey Jr. was in it, so that just goes to show how little right? I was paying attention. I didn't know either. I mean, I remember was I was like seeing like YouTube videos of the press for this, you know, people mm-hmm. of them doing the interviews ahead of time for it, and I'm like, Matt Damon's in this? Yeah. Yeah, I only just found out he would, he had been in it a couple of days before too, and it's like Robert Downey Jr.'s in this. I was just yeah. like, I, I I didn't even I didn't know Emily Blunt was in it. I was just like, I knew uh-huh. Killian Murphy was in it. And that's, that's about basically it. all I knew too, because you know the the one the one poster was just his a close up of his face, and like a lot of the movie, by the way, is just kind of close ups of of Killian Murphy working his his face magic. Yeah, of, of they, they actually face ma- face acting magic. is something they talk about, and yeah. like. You know he's he's able to convey a lot through just close-ups of very slight facial movements, and uh, I guess we'll get into that. We'll get into <laughs> acting. That'll be a. I think that might be a category. Acting. That acting. Um. So, so anyway, yeah. Doctor Hill goes gives an amazing speech, right? Mm-hmm. And and I loved Strauss's advisor smiling mm-hmm. when Hill spoke the truth, and then um, then we cut back to the 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 hearing over the security clearance, right? And mm-hmm. they've got General Groves there. And they're like, would you uh, clear him? Would you give him a clearance? Mm-hmm. And he's like, uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't clear any of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I, I enjoyed. Yeah, I was sitting there going, like, come on, say you would. And then he said no. And I was like, oh. And then he said, but also I wouldn't clear anybody based on these standards. And I was like, yes. And not, yeah. that, that, not that that's really a good thing, but at least... I like the, I like it's true to his character though. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He's he's being truthful about it, but also, you know. Yeah, because he, you know, he didn't he was always having trouble with their mm-hmm. the way they dealt with security, right? Yeah. Compartmentalization, like, compartmentalization. It's it's right after the war, but like it feels like these guys are not understanding what well, it's not really right. I mean it's nine years later. That's true, but it just seems like it doesn't take long for adult men to not realize that, you know, maybe some things had to be done a different way yeah. when you know when the you know fighting the nazis i know it's it's really pathetic how short our memory is um but then we get emily blunt and i love that you know the lawyer's like are you sure you want her to take the stand because she mm-hmm. seems like a drunk basically mm-hmm. right yeah and then she's just like i'm going to destroy you <laughs> yeah so, the, so cool it, she she did that thing that we all she was we all imagine ourselves being that way in the shower right like winning arguments so convincingly, but she actually did. So that's fun. I also was like, you know, at one point, I think she asked him, like, why, what, like, what, why are you continuing? Like, what are your reasons? I can't remember who says it, but like, they're basically talking about what is, what is his, why does he continue this? Mm-hmm. You know, like, why does he keep taking this beating? Yeah. And it was like, what are, his, and I was thinking, what are his reasons for continuing this? Like, yeah. does he really want a security clearance this badly? Um, and they address it at the end, mm. so or near the end. But so we'll get there. But um, 
we cut back to Hill, you know, to to the black and white portion. Mm-hmm. And Strauss was like, you know, why did he do this or whatever? And 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 the the aide is like, do people need a reason to do the right thing? You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was funny. Um, so then we cut back and we show that he loses his security clearance with one dissent. Um and then it cuts back again to the uh the con- to the Secretary of Commerce hearing, and he he finds out that he doesn't get to be Secretary of Commerce because of this, which is kind of awesome. Yep. I mean, how it's so rare that people are actually held to task for their actions in government. It feels yeah, like absolutely. So when you see this kind of stuff, you're like, oh, so sometimes it does work, and it's beautiful when it does. Just like that rare ass time. But I did think it was funny that they snuck in Kennedy. Yeah, I know. That actually felt kind of dumb. Like, I didn't like and, it either. And that like, man's we're going to appeal to the masses here. Yeah, for real. But that's okay. Again, like pretty minor. What, yeah, you know, exactly. Pretty... It was. It was clear that like no, no one wanted to like put that in there. Like Kennedy did it too. Everybody. Yeah. You know. But whatever. And and like I don't know. It's it's one of those things where they expect everyone in the audience to be like, oh, Kennedy, Kennedy, yeah, it was Kennedy. My mom did do that. Oh, did she? <laughs> yeah. It was like one of the first things she said after the movie's over. She and did you hear that Kennedy voted against him? <laughs> You're like, yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, I heard that. I uh, noticed. <laughs> I Christopher Nolan made it hard not to. Um so so then we this is now that everything's over as as far as the the commerce secretary hearing and the mm-hmm. hearing to get his security clearance. And um they they give the reason why he went through it mm. and and she was because his wife says to him, and the, i love that in this the entire movie he never directly says anything mm-hmm. right so kitty is talking to him and she's like does going through did going through this do you think you're going to get the forgiveness that you hoped for Mm-hmm. And putting all this out there. I just think it's fascinating. So that's why he put himself through it because mm-hmm. he felt guilty that he ever involved, like that he did, that he built the bomb in the first place. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. It's poignant. Um, I will say as much as I enjoyed Strauss's advisor here. Yeah. Um, he's not a very good advisor. Yeah, yeah. Why exactly is he doing this job aside from needing money? Yeah, um, I felt at times he's a little too much the audience. Mm-hmm. So yeah, for sure. But uh, now we're gonna cut to we're gonna we're we're gonna see the scene between him and Einstein and what like happened from Oppenheimer's perspective, mm-hmm. right? And you know, Einstein's like. You gave me an award, but it was really for you because you. Yeah. I know you didn't really like me that much. And he's like, it's going to happen to you, too. They're going to mm-hmm. give you an award, but it's not for you. It's yep. for them. And then they, we cut to years later, and they're giving him an award, which yep. I don't even... Was it the Presidential Medal of Freedom or something? Probably. Yeah, I think so. Um, but then, you know, Teller comes up, shakes his hand. And Kitty won't shake his hand. I'm yep. like, damn, she holds forget. a grudge. She does. <laughs> so we end the last line of the, of the movie is mm. uh, he's, he's talking to Einstein. And he's like, do you remember when I 
brought you the calculation that says that we could start a chain reaction to end the world. Mm -hmm. And Einstein says, well, what of it? You know, like, why are mm -hmm. you asking about it? And he said, I believe we did. Mm -hmm. And that's how it ends. Yeah. Um, and it shows the world basically erupting in nuclear holocaust. Any day now. Um, yeah, I, I, I love that scene as a, as a framing device for practically the entire movie in a sense. And I love, you know, I actually got Strauss's point when we first see the scene from his perspective where, you know, they are talking and then Einstein, you know, seems to give him the cold shoulder and he wonders, oh, is that is that about me? Because I, I feel like I might feel like that too. Yeah. You know? And then when we see it from uh, Oppenheimer's perspective or really both of their, I guess, both of them, um, by which I mean Oppenheimer and Einstein. Um, just like the the advisor said, it just they weren't they weren't even thinking about Strauss, you know. Oops, he was not you know a, a second thought on their mind. Um, they were talking about the world ending, you know. Right. So he was, yeah, he was feeling, yeah, so deep in uh, thought. Yeah, and just the the way that the scene came across such such different ways. It was, I don't know. I loved it. I know. I, I just, yeah. I mean, what a way to end it. It mm -hmm. was incredible. Well, so that's the whole movie. And if you've seen it already, then you, you already know this is going to be a good ranking, but let's move on to the rank. Oh, wait. So the rank is where we rank the movie based on 10 categories, story, acting, originality, film coherence, cinematography, score slash soundtrack, script structure and dialogue, character relatability, production value and timelessness, production value and timelessness. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we rank it on a scale of one to 10, uh, one being the worst, 10 being the best. The first category is story and Zach starts. So what do you have? What was the first category? Story story uh well you know he what says do you like we haven't been doing this for what 20 something 40 episodes or something well the thing is is that story is like this is how do you give are you grading it on like the things that actually happened here because this is as as <laughs> as i agreed with leslie grew whatever fuck his name is uh this is just about the most important thing to ever occur or are you grading it on how it's presented? Are you grading it on what they decided to leave in, what they decided to leave out? Um, given given the fact that it's probably a little bit of all of that, I gave it a 10. Um, I was waiting for some sort of a surprise reaction, but I don't know. Maybe well, I, maybe I nodded. I was, yep. I, I was a little bit surprised, and I, I nodded and kind of smiled. Sagely nodding, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, but, uh, yeah. No, it's okay. Um, it's like good a good a good topic for a movie, right? In general. Yeah, I'll it's say kind of, it's kind of surprising that he isn't really discussed as much as you might think in general. Well, he um, will be now. Exactly. Um and I I I don't want to get too much into it because it's more of a script structure and dialogue kind of thing, but um I thought it was presented about as well as I don't know most things can be as far as I mean it's it's at the point where I've mentioned a couple of times in other movies that are based on real people's lives that we've done that I wish that they had a bit more of a, that their structure was a bit more similar to this movie 
Yeah, yeah. Well, you don't say it direct. I don't think you've ever said that it was that you wished it was a bit more like this movie. Mm -hmm. But, um, but I mean, now you can say it for yeah. sure. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just gonna leave it for the structure part. But yeah, basically perfect. Well, I gave it a nine and a half. Okay. So I, you know, the story is the life of J. Robert Oppenheimer, right? Um, I think that the only thing that's not perfect about it to me is that it's, you know, you're just, you're trying to pack a lot into three hours. Yeah. And so yeah. it creates some confusion and some jumpiness. Um, but obviously that's very like minor to mm -hmm. me because it's almost perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and apparently he's a pretty interesting guy, even outside of the fact that he led a little thing called the Manhattan Project. <laughs> you know? Whatever um, that is. I, and I love history, but a lot of this was actually kind of new to me. Like, I didn't know about his security clearance thing. Mm -hmm, Did you? Neither. No, yeah. not at all. Uh, or his ties to the Communist Party, mm -hmm. which, like, you know, again, why do we give a shit about yeah. that? But um, but I love the story. I, I was excellent. I mm -hmm. think uh, I think you said it much more eloquently than I did. So I'm just going to move on to, to acting, which is the next category. So what were you going to say something? Go ahead. No, I was going to say, uh, didn't feel like I was making any sense while I said it. So I'm glad it came out. Okay. <laughs> well, um, so for acting, I gave it a 10. Mm -hmm. Okay. I thought mm -hmm. the acting was incredible in this. Mm -hmm. I, it's unbelievable to me how many big names are in this and how quickly they just fade into their characters. Mm -hmm. Like oh, absolutely, every single one that came in, I just didn't see them as I didn't see Robert Downey Jr. as Robert. Downey. I saw him as you know Louis Strauss or whatever his name is Strauss. Mm -hmm. I can't remember his first name. I think it's I think Lewis. it might have been Louis. Yeah, um, and I saw Leslie General Groves as General Groves, not as Matt Damon and Casey mm -hmm. Affleck. I mean, that was that was Pash. You know, I'm like, everybody was just that character. I don't know how they, Emily Blunt, holy shit. Mm -hmm. She was incredible. Florence Pugh is great as always, you know? I mean, like everybody was so good. I just, I, I don't know how you have this large of a cast of, of characters and mm -hmm. have everybody operating at this level. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess it just amazingly done. So what do, what do you have? I, I gave it a nine and a half. I am now hearing you say it, kind of considering <laughs> going back and giving it more. But uh, for now, I'm going to leave it because I thought the acting was really excellent. Um, I was like, afterward, I was thinking, like, who actually did the best job acting in this? And it, Killian Murphy, probably. But I thought Robert Downey Jr. was excellent, too, in exactly the way you said, in that, like, I kind of barely realized it was him for a long time. Um, I mean, I... How how are you going to pick supporting actor out of these? Oh, know? I know exactly. Um, I, I went with nine and a half though, just because I felt like it, it, I, I, a lot of the performances were really good, but not necessarily the best things I've ever seen. But that might just be because you know it's it's hard to really be anything other than really good or adequate when you don't have as much screen time. Right. I mean, you're trying. I mean. You know, obviously it's Killian Murphy's movie. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't know. I I'm I'm gonna up it to nine point seven five, just short of perfect, just because I don't want to give it perfect. <laughs> just, <laughs> didn't didn't feel a hundred percent perfect to me for uh, acting, although extremely good. I have no real reason. I if somebody no, somebody I get it. To call me out on that. I feel free. I just I'm not sure. Well, uh, the perfect ten is a feeling. 
Yeah, definitely. I mm -hmm. agree with you. All right. So the next category is originality. What do you have for that? Uh, originality, I gave it an eight. Um, I'm interested to see what you say about it because I don't mean eight in a bad way. I just mean in a we get a lot of World War II movies and maybe not so many about the actual you know atomic bombs and not so many about the Manhattan Project, but and it was and it was framed in a very unique way. But um, yeah, for me it was it was more like if you want to see a World War II movie, you can see a lot that are extremely good. I mean, heck, you can probably see another. If you want a World War II movie, you don't have to go for. If you want to see a, I'm sorry, a Christopher Nolan World War II movie, you don't have to go for just this one. Right, right. So that's why I gave it an eight, but it's uh, kind of a bit contingent on whether or not you convince me. Well, to, to go considerably higher. I gave it an eight. Oh, okay. So <laughs> never mind. I'm probably going to stay at an eight. I actually theory. struggled with the yeah with the originality category. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I just it's not like we're really breaking any new ground here as far as genre or story goes. Yeah. But creating an atomic explosion with practical effects, oh, I mean, yeah. that's pretty original, right? True. I just I don't know how original the filmmaking was. Mm -hmm. Just incredibly well done filmmaking in a sort of tried and true genre. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. It's it I'm not sure I would have wanted like memento style originality in this. Right. Exactly, exactly. Just to um, keep it on Chris Renault. But it's still original in that, you know, he, he you know, he, he was, he, he played with um, color and timeline and, mm -hmm. you know, not like nobody else has ever played with timelines or anything, including him, but mm -hmm. to take a World War II movie and play with timeline as much as he did mm -hmm. is pretty impressive. Um, I mean, that's, it's a hard thing to make something that could potentially be so incoherent to, mm -hmm. to reference our next category and pull yeah. it together. So I don't know. It's, it's an, it's an incredible, it's, it really it was well done. So mm. anyway, let's move on to the next category, which is film coherence. And uh, I struggle with this one too. I gave it a nine. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to just say the gripes that make it not a 10. Um, I didn't like the aid to Strauss them. I mean, I liked him from mm -hmm. a like character state, like I enjoyed him, but I didn't like him as a character in the movie because he was too against Strauss and he was supposed to be there to help him, you yeah. know? And I get the, like, he has a revelation that Strauss is kind of the bad guy in this situation, but I don't know that a person that is doing that job is really at reacting that way. You know, mm -hmm. I don't know. I just felt like he was, it was, he was a character that was created for the audience mm -hmm. to feel. And I, yeah. Uh, but I also thought the award at the very end maybe didn't need to happen, you know, because mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not even sure what it, what it was. But obviously that's a quibble. Mm -hmm. um, the only other thing I'll mention toward film coherence, I don't know. Another thing I'll mention towards film coherence was that. The relationship between Florence's character and Oppie was a little confusing at times. Mm -hmm. um, like, I understand we couldn't spend more time with it, but I think it needed a little more for us to get there with them. Mm -hmm. You know, like it just didn't feel like that I was supposed to be concerned. You know what it was? It's like, um, so when she dies, I definitely had, I empathized more when she died than when 
Regina King's Margie died in, <laughs> yeah. in Ray, you know? Um, so I guess that's a little bit better, but you know, I, I think the film coherence is always going to be a tough category for a biopic because yeah. there's just so much jumping around to do to fit in all of all of this information in a movie. So mm -hmm. anyway, I'm curious what you have. Uh, I went with the mine. Um, for me, it's kind of funny because I was so uh, effusive as far as coherence from 10. Well, I mean, from 10, from uh, what, what a story. Yeah. Um, I, I initially had a nine and a half, and I think I might go back to that actually. But um, I had a nine and a half at first, too. And I went down to nine. Mm, mm. I'm not well, trying to convince you. I'm just. No, I'm I'm trying to think about what I what I think because I could see the co it was coherent for me in a way that really worked in the jumping around and the sort of chaotic nature of a lot of the parts where it's like it, it's almost kind of jarring that we jump into like a, a different time yeah it's like so, something will be happening and then just suddenly we're back at the security hearing or something and uh, security clearance hearing and like. It really worked for me in this in in the sense that I mentioned before of it feeling like the chaotic nature of subatomic particles and everything and just atomic particles, I guess. And like I said before, as far as electrons moving around in an unpredictable manner and it reflecting his mental state and not just the way he thinks, but like the way he feels in his own mind. Um, however, I could see it very much not working for somebody. I could see it the argument that maybe it should have been more of more of like a direct A to B kind of thing because we're talking about a person's life. Um, I thought it worked really well in that it was centered around these things, but at the same time, maybe they should have picked one thing to center it around rather than like maybe less on Strauss, for instance, and more on this, just the security hearing. I, although I know we need Strauss to understand why the security hearing went, went as the way it did. Um, I'm just kind of making up the things that I could see be, being people's complaints. Um, and, uh, yeah, um, I guess maybe also if it, the only thing that could have been better is if they had found a way to make it a little bit shorter and still hit all these points. Um, just in like the uh, it's perfect when there's nothing left to take away kind of feeling. Yeah. However, however, it still worked just about as well as something can work for me. So I think I might put it back up to a nine and a half because I was sort of like including in my own argument arguments that I was imagining other people happening. That they, that they that nobody's even necessarily making to me well so can i you made an interesting point that was about where you were sort of implying what other people may think yeah and it is interesting the whole commerce secretary uh hearing for louis mm -hmm. strauss i don't know that that needed to happen yeah no yeah i kind of feel the same way it's interesting that you know i hadn't really considered it because it's like part of the movie you know and, and such such a well done part of the movie and there's catharsis in the fact that he doesn't get it after what he did to oppenheimer right mm -hmm. um but it almost you almost think like you could have played him as the villain during these hearings and mm -hmm. you, know, you could have let it be known that it was him and then in the the title cards at the end you know and the 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 write-up at the end they could have yeah and because of how he treated oppenheimer he was denied mm. a post it's not as effective probably yeah. so i guess you know 
I'm going to keep it a nine because in terms of coherence, it all still worked. Um, yeah. So anyway, go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was, I'm just putting mine back up to a nine and a half because that's how I feel. And I don't necessarily, I shouldn't include how I'm imagining theoretical people to feel. Yeah, <laughs> my, I agree. In my grade for it. That was kind of dumb. Well, let's go to the next category. Cinematography. What do you have for that? For cinematography, I gave it a 10. Um, I don't know. You know, I feel like someone who knows a lot more about cinematography is going to jump on and be like, oh, these, uh, these like Nolan bros just obsessing over everything he did. I don't know. I, I, I could have looked at this movie for the rest of my life. I don't know. I thought it was, <laughs> I thought it was shot absolutely perfectly. And I don't really, I, I don't know enough about it to really get too far into it. Maybe another time, maybe I'll learn more. I'll go out and learn about it and come back and tell everybody what I liked. You know, it's funny because I gave it a 9.75 mm -hmm. and I'm like, why isn't it a 10? I, mm -hmm. I well, you know why it isn't a 10? Why I was so hesitant to give it a 10? I, I'm like, are we going to make this the best movie ever made? Like, by our rankings. And I, I know. I, I feel know. like it probably isn't. Not that it's not great, but I feel like it's probably not the best movie ever. And we're going to give it 10s across the board or something. So I'm kind of like, I'm it's, hesitant. Uh, yeah. I, I am, But that's probably not a good way to look at it, right? Probably it's just, not. It just it, is what it is. Exactly. So, um, you know... I, when I first wrote the score, I just, you know, I was, I was honestly thinking about the fact about the potent notable, which mm -hmm. I know it shouldn't make, it doesn't make sense, but I was thinking about the fact that they said, well, if things were out of focus, we just went with it anyway. Yeah. And I thought, well, but then, then it can't be a perfect cinematography, right? Yeah. Because yeah. if they, if they, if they didn't choose the best cinematic shot, mm -hmm. then it's not perfect cinematography. That's true. That's really the only reason I did I because I thought it was incredible and it was beautiful and moving. I, I you know, I, I guess I'm not sure that we necessarily needed the black and white, but I mm -hmm. like I kind of liked it. I didn't have an issue with it. Um, I get they were trying to differentiate the perspectives between Oppenheimer and Strauss, so whatever. Um, I, I just I think that was going to win best cinematography, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I haven't seen any of the other nominees yet. Unless Barbie gets nominated, in which case mm -hmm. I will have seen one other, um, which I do think we're going to end up having to rank that one actually. So we might need to watch that one again too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, I, I'm going to stick with nine point seven five. I think it's okay. I think it's fair. So we'll go on to score slash soundtrack, and that's me. And uh, I give this a ten. Okay. <laughs> Because, I mean, talk about a score living in the movie. I mean, uh -huh. it's incredible. I just... Nolan would bring the score flying in at times to, like, yeah. really make you feel the scene without forcing the actor to be super emotive, you mm -hmm. know? And it's it's perfect in that it allows you to understand the character through the subtleties of acting while also understanding the context or the power of the score. I just... Really well done. Hot dog. Did you say it? Um... <laughs> Uh, I, uh, I gave it a nine and, uh, I'm not really going to differentiate between why I gave it a nine and not a 10. I'm just going to say that I agree with all of that and gave it a nine. <laughs> all right. Well, let's go on to uh script structure and dialogue. What do you have for that? For the, for that one, I gave it a nine and a half. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I think I already said everything I wanted to say as far as with this, with the story and uh, the, well, uh, you were going to say something about structure. You said you were going to leave something for structure. I think I already kind of said said it, and 
it's like I don't really know if I have anything else to say as far as the structuring it around the hearings, the dual hearings, mm, right, and, right, and maybe just the way that 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 encounter with Einstein comes off differently depending on what your perspective about it is. I love, I love the fact that like early in the movie, we're thinking maybe this is about someone personally. They're talking about something, some old gripe. I actually thought that that when I first watched it, I was like, did I did Einstein and Oppenheimer have a, like an argument? And is that why Einstein's walking away like annoyed? Yeah. Um, but then given the perspective of the atomic bomb and the dropping the bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki and talking about the end of the world, it suddenly makes the scene, it does make the scene seem very different because that's what's actually on their minds. Um, like, damn, we got some perspective between petty, you know, potential petty arguments and fucking, you know, we're all going to die. Um I thought that they I don't know I don't know how the book is is written I don't know how that's structured but they uh they came up with a really excellent and interesting way to structure the, the movie in my head so I can't remember what I gave it now but you gave it a nine and a half nine and a half that's what I thought it was <laughs> well I gave it a nine mm -hmm. uh, I thought the dialogue was pretty excellent and, I, and the structure was great too you know mm -hmm. um I think the only area that this is hindered is the structure and dialogue between Strauss and the aide mm -hmm. okay um, this just felt a little contrived for the audience's sake to mm -hmm. me. Uh, I understand why Nolan had it in there, you know, cause he needs to have a reason for Strauss to sort of explain, you know, like, like a Bond villain type thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I enjoyed the aid character, but it, it reminded me I was in a movie, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, it just was like, I don't know. There's just, it, it just, it felt very, the rest of it was like, I was watching history. Um, and that to me felt very much just like, oh, this is the feel good movie part. Mm, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Still amazing, right? Anyway, so let's go to character relatability. So for this one, I gave an eight. Mm -hmm. And as beautiful and moving as the movie was, the characters tended to seem a little bit out of reach to me. Yeah. Um, I didn't empathize with them as much as I enjoyed watching their stories play out. You know, it's still excellent, and I understood the motivations of the characters for the most part. Mm -hmm. um, as I brought up in film coherence, the the relationship between Oppie and Florence Pugh was never mm -hmm. strong enough for me to carry as much as mm -hmm. as the characters seemed to. Um, even the relationship with his wife wasn't quite there either. Is better, mm -hmm. I thought, but it still wasn't quite there. Like, you know, we didn't have really enough time to show them loving each other. Mm -hmm. Uh, for me to like relate to this great defense that she puts on. Yeah. You know, so with the way everything's the story is so condensed is like, this guy's a dick, mm -hmm. but she's still going to defend him because they've been married for years, but we don't see any of the good. Like we saw him flirt with her once and she yeah. liked it, you know? Yeah. Flirt with her while she was married. Right. Exactly. Um, and, and the minor like subplot where, he he's giving his kid to the spy mm. it was not really discussed much afterwards so it was hard yeah. to like know how to feel about that and it's just this is always the trouble with biopics right too mm -hmm. much information too little time but anyway what do you have for a character relatability now don't scoff i gave it a seven and a half but i i get it that yeah that's not to say that the, it struggles in this area or anything i don't think they were really going for relatability as much as right understanding like they want you to understand where the characters came from and that they did these things, but they don't necessarily need you to put yourself in that place. 
It's not like, what would you do if you were making the atomic bomb? It's more like, just this is what happened. This is this is what his motivations were. And I suppose that's relatability in a sense, but it's less like empathizing as much as just accepting that that was what occurred. Yeah. So hopefully yeah, that makes I, sense. It does. You know, I, I think... I don't know. I think that uh, I think that this movie does need you to empathize with the characters, though. I mean, mm -hmm. because I, I think you want to feel what Oppenheimer's feeling, especially, and in, mm -hmm. and in many ways you do. But I think that I would say that it's probably the weakest category for this movie. Yeah, probably. So, all right. So let's go to production value. What do you have for that? Kind of kind of struggling with some of these. Because what the fuck, you know, you're just gonna again, you're just gonna give it amazing grades across the board. Well, I'll an, tell you, go ahead. I, I gave I this gonna... one a nine and a half. I, <laughs> I feel like it could be a ten. I, I didn't give it a ten though, just because I don't fucking know why. Let's move on. What did you give it? <laughs> I gave it a I gave it a ten. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I mean, they created a practical effect atomic explosion and manufactured yeah. a town. You're you right. Know? Yeah. I don't know what else you need to say, but on top of all that, <laughs> you're the right, film you're felt right. like it was in the correct time period for the entire time without, by the without, way, yeah. <laughs> going to 40s-style film. Yep. Poor Marty. He's over there listening like, oh, he, oh he's not listening to us. If yeah, he was listening to us, I'd be thrilled for him to hate us, you know? Yeah, Just to yeah, see exactly. who we were. <laughs> but he's like, man, you really did not like that, uh, that technique of mine. And you're like, no, I did not. <laughs> it did not work for me. No blue peas in this movie. <laughs> Well, all right. So um, the last category. I feel like I should move mine up to a ten. I don't know. I mean, I think you should. I don't know how you get much better, but yeah, I was you. actually, I was thinking, you know, well, you know, I'm gonna leave ten for like the absolute some of the best I've ever seen, like in film. But like this, this kind of is some of the best film production. Yeah. Even even if you didn't like the movie, you probably will admit that the film production was excellent. I'll move it up to a ten. Fine, just because I feel like that's that's the way it should be. And again, I think I I'm I'm like falling into the trap of like this isn't. I don't want this to be you know Citizen Kane. Right. It but, might though. Yeah, it might. <laughs> you know, or, the way that the 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 rankings are built, the categories are built. It's not necessarily going to support a Citizen. So, yeah. like, Citizen Kane might have a 10 for story and 10 for acting and, you know, originality and, you know, things. Like, I mean, I don't know what it's going to have, right? Mm -hmm. But it might not hit character relatability or production value. Mm -hmm. True, you know? true. So, this yeah. is, what we're trying to find is the best overall film, not mm -hmm. just, like, the best story that's been filmed. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. Does that make sense? I feel like, yeah. I, I, feel like I put that well. Yeah, it actually makes perfect sense, and uh, I feel a little better. Because hopefully people will understand that if, because I would hate for people to be like, oh, these these film bros like, you know, Inception better than they like Citizen Kane. <laughs> and it's gonna be like, well, listen, you know, it's just it's what it is, you know. Yeah, it's categories. Yeah. We might have, you know, like you have to take it by the category, right? So mm -hmm. like, production value for for Room was a seven, mm -hmm. and yeah, for, that doesn't mean Room's bad at all, right? And for the Aviator, it was a nine. Mm -hmm. Does that mean the Aviator was a better movie than Room? Fuck no. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So, um, so timelessness is the next category, and uh, I gave it a nine and a half. Mm -hmm. So obviously, this is just my gut reaction to the movie. Mm -hmm. um, we don't have the benefit of hindsight with this ranking, but I, I really truly believe that Christopher Nolan will be remembered decades from now and will be studied when he's gone 
mm-hmm. um, by you know film if film's still an industry at that point. But yeah, um, and I think this may be his crowning achievement in filmmaking. I guess we won't know because he's making more films, hopefully. Um, but I, I do think that this will stand the test of time. Mm-hmm. So, what say you? I gave it an eight and a half. Um, just to just to err on the side of caution a little bit. Um, I, I you know it's. I feel like it's got a good chance of being the sort of thing that people are really looking back at if, if for no other reason than technically. Um, but uh, at the same time, I'm just not, I don't know, not removed enough to say for sure. So I'm sort of like more, much more likely than not, but not necessarily like, you know, a sure thing for me. Okay. Well, I mean, I think that's fair. It's, it's hard to gauge right mm-hmm. now. So, yeah. Um, so that's it. That's the whole rank. And um, How'd this fucker do? Probably not very good. Yeah, it did really well. It's probably um, down there with like uh, the Aviator, right? As far as Best Picture nominees. Well, we're be. not going to release this episode until yeah. after all the nominees have been announced. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what the what the rankings are going to look like at mm-hmm. that time. Mm-hmm. So what I would suggest to people is to go and go to our website and see the updated rankings. Mm-hmm. But short of that. I will say right now it is the number one movie Mm -hmm. number one best picture nominee of all time if it ends up being a best picture nominee in which case i don't know what (laughs) that would be quite the thing if it didn't get nominated at all yeah it's got to be nominated right i mean there's no way but it ended up with a 184 and a half that's pretty close beat brooklyn by 3.7 points yeah um, I guess that probably makes sense. I probably did like this better than Brooklyn, although I really like Brooklyn. So yeah, I, I think it's a better movie than Brooklyn. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I love Brooklyn, but mm-hmm. I do think mm-hmm. this is a better movie. And it, you know, I, I I feel like say you have a four star rating system for your uh, movies, right? You re-rate it based you know one to four stars. All the best movies of all time are all going to be four stars, right? Exactly. So like, does that mean that? This four star movie is better than this one. I don't know. Well, that's the, the and that's what we're doing, mm-hmm. right? So, like, just because I that's you know, that's the beauty of the ranking is that mm-hmm. we, we're getting to rank this, and it's uh, it might not even align with what we think is the best. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so there it is. Uh, yeah, well, thanks for listening, everybody. And if you'd like to see an updated list of our rankings, as I said, go to our website at the rank with John and Zach.com. Um, these episodes are ranking where we're ranking the current nominees before the actual telecast are special. So, you know, check out all the others besides this one, mm-hmm. because, you know, we don't know yet at the, at the time of this recording, we don't know what's going to be, uh, nominated. We're, we're simply taking educated guesses. Um, and I'm thinking what we m- might do is, uh, maybe right before the telecast is we'll, uh, we'll do a little prediction special episode where we predict all of the categories thanks again for listening goodbye and uh, i'd like to take this opportunity to say thank you and goodbye